Today is Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. A fury of moves as the Ravens' defensive front looking very different. We take a look back at the 2019 draft class and do a live mock for 2020. Could we see Adam Jones as an Orioles manager one day? And the Terps land a big commit for 2022. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's up, BSers? Fred, Scott, Brian, coming to you live, virtually, from our own homes, <laughs> uh, as we're making sure that we respect this whole virus thing and uh, spect- respecting that whole social distancing, taking it serious. Uh, hopefully, you guys out there are doing the same. Hopefully, you guys are all good and healthy and staying healthy. Scott, everything good with you on your end? I've been staying healthy. My son, we, we had a little scare with my son, but it turns out it's allergies, which... I have a huge problem with, and apparently so does he. Yeah. Man, Never be too right careful, with you. Though, man. Never be too careful. Brian, everything good on your end? Everybody healthy? Everything's good on my end, except for the allergy part. You know, I've been suffering yeah. through that since I was, I don't know, 34, 35, since I came, <laughs> came into this world. Right. Uh, I'm still I'm still struggling with this whole new interface from Facebook. Something's That's all right, man. just not right, so bear with me. I'll, I'll yeah. figure it out. But No worries. Everybody going stir crazy, staying in their houses, not able to get out. Hopefully, this gives you a little bit of a break. We give you a little bit of relief for at least the next hour, hour and a half as we uh, we kind of dive into quite a few things, man. That the, the Ravens have been making a fury of moves over the last couple of weeks. We obviously took off last week because of everything, trying to get this whole virtual thing figured out. Yeah, man. Um, we, we had talked about the Calais Campbell move. We talked about the potential for the Brockers move. We're going to get into all the dominoes that kind of fell after our last show. Um, we're going to take a look back at the 2019 draft class, kind of give our takes on, you know, how we how they graded out, how we feel like they did in their first year. And then we're going to do a live mock for this upcoming draft for the 2020 by popular demand. I know a lot of you guys out there have been asking for us to do it. Uh, I've done a few Shout out to my boy SCG Sports. I did one with him on the on the air. Done a few that I've put out there on social media that a lot of you guys have been uh, pretty hyped about, pretty excited about. So I figured the three of us would give our shot at it. I like it. I'm all for it. Adam Jones made some interesting comments over the last uh, over the last week, uh, doing an interview talking about his time in Baltimore and his departure from Baltimore. And uh, in that conversation, they brought up the potential of him coming back to major league baseball. And if he ever saw himself back in Baltimore, uh, he talked about the potential of him coming back as a manager. So we're going to get into that and give our takes and our thoughts on that. Uh, the Terps, man, they got a lot of things going on right now. They got guys coming and going on the basketball squad. Uh, they got some big things happen with the football squad. They landed a really, really big commit that we're going to get into. Uh, hopefully another big commit follows suit and follows behind him. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Scott, 
hoping and praying on that uh, with with some of the big commits. So I'm um, I'm excited for what we've got what we've got coming. Well, before we get into too much, I want to remind you guys if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident, not sure who to call. 855-MD-CRASH. The Maryland personal injury attorneys that have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I know I have, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now. 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, including tickets to whenever the hell we get back to sports world. (laughs) Yeah, whenever we get back, one of these days. That's right. (laughs) All right, man. So it's time for some flock news. As I said, uh, we missed a week, and a lot of things have happened. It's been a pretty active uh, offseason for the Ravens so far. We talked about the big move and bringing in Calais Campbell. I know we had talked about the interest in him prior to the move happening. And for the Ravens to be able to pull that off, it, it was a huge, huge get for the, for the Ravens. Obviously, that gives them an interior pass rush that they just didn't have last year. Yeah, it's it definitely it's when the, when we talked about the Calais Campbell move, we talked about the idea of what he was going to bring that that additional edge. And then, you know, what he was going to be able to provide on the leadership perspective for that front line as well. You know, Judon obviously is already the leader, but now you bring the experience, you know, of this young guy and he's going to be able to help you develop a little bit long-term, especially considering they worked out that extension before bringing him on. Right. And that's a great point. Bringing up that leadership. I mean, we talked last year in the off season about the gutting that was Eric Weddle and CJ Mosley and Terrell Suggs and, where was the veteran leadership going to come from? And I tell you, you know, bringing in a guy like Marcus Peters in the middle of the year, yeah, he was huge. You know, having Marshall Yonda step up in even more of a vocal role than he did in previous years, he seemed to take more of that leadership, that leadership role. Um, you know, you had guys across the board, Mark Ingram. I mean, he was a he was a huge hit in the locker room from day one. <laughs> Big trust, baby. That's all right, it was. Right. Oh, God. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> and you bring a guy like Calais Campbell in. I think, again, the value that he brings, obviously what he does on the field, his versatility, being able to line him up pretty much anywhere on the defensive line, lining up in a one technique to a five technique. Uh, you could really do a lot with this guy. And, again, having Wink under control um and putting him in places and putting him in situations i think we're going to get a really good productive year out of him considering his most productive years have been his last four years in jacksonville yeah i mean those definitely were his most productive years those are the years that you you know when you look at the stats we talked about it when he's so productive like that on a team that's just they had one year of competing let's be real Mm -hmm. one year of competing you bring that production to a team that's competing right with the excitement and the the intensity that the Ravens are bringing, especially with what Wink has been doing with this defense. Like you said, it's just going to, it's going to be off the charts having a guy like him on this team. A hundred percent agree. Well, then they follow that Calais Campbell move up with the announcement that they had an agreement in place with former Rams defensive lineman, Michael Brockers. This, this deal kind of surprised me, especially knowing where the cap room was and how much room they, they, the, the Ravens had, 
um, and some of the other needs that they had. You know, you had a Michael Pierce out there who they were still up in the air at the time, whether they were going to bring him back. You still had Chris Warmly at the time. They, you know, he was in the fold already under contract. So not a big issue there. Um, but Michael Brockers was a guy that excited a lot of people. You know, he was another right. guy that can line up pretty much on anywhere. Uh, he gives you more of an interior pass rush that we sorely lacked over the last couple of years, especially last year. So a lot of people were excited, as, as was I. And I tell you what, after that move, the Ravens made a couple other moves uh, or a couple other decisions that kind of determined the way the next couple of dominoes were going to fall. Yeah. Michael Pierce ultimately moves in, and then he signs with the Minnesota Vikings as a free agent. He gone. Yeah. You know, so there's one there's one domino gone. And then I know the move that kind of threw up some flags to you, Chris Warmly, not yeah. only does he get traded, but, but then he's traded to a division rival. Exactly. You trade him to the Steelers. I mean, good on the Steelers part <laughs> to go, OK, let's get an inside scoop on this defense, even though Wormley wasn't a, a fully active, per, active participant in this, you know, in this defense. He goes there, and now he he's able to provide them more information twice a year. Uh, who knows what else they're able to get out of it? But Wormley, you know, being a seventh round pick, I I think, or I'm sorry, Wormley, and we get the seventh round pick, and then we get in return, or we give up the seventh round, we get in return the fifth in 2021. So both yeah. the picks that were traded were 2021. I think honestly, it's a little bit of a steal. Um, you know, his when you look at the cap hit that he's had over the last three years, it's been under a million dollars all three years. He's on a right. four-year, three point five six million dollar contract. So for him to now in twenty twenty, he's set to make two point one million this year. Yeah. So while that's not a ton of money, that does help us out a little bit along with what happened with Brockers. So now we're looking at that cap space, and I think what they're looking at is trying to buy in that cap space. I still don't think we're done seeing you know the free agent moves by Eric DaCosta. I think he's going to see maybe what he can get in the draft and then kind of maybe go from there. We'll, you know, time will tell. But right. I think overall... My biggest issue with this trade is the fact that you you did it to Pittsburgh, and it's not like you you got a huge return because you yeah. in order to get a fifth rounder you had to give up him and a seventh. It just yeah. I, it made me a little uncomfortable. For, for me, this was like the one move that kind of had me scratching my head. It was, you know, you you thought you had Brockers in place at the time. You saw Michael Pierce go. Chris Warmly, again, to your point, wasn't a very expensive piece, but I think the Ravens were looking for, for room to trim fat. Anywhere that right. they can save a little bit of money with cap room, uh, knowing that they're going to try to have to get a three-year, $30 million deal done with Brockers, uh, they were just trying to figure out a way. The surprising part of it was him going to the Steelers. You don't see no. division rivals trade uh, within within the division like that very, very, very often. And the Steelers get a young player. You know, they get a player that maybe he hasn't lit the world on fire here, but he's a consistent player. He's a guy that will add depth to that Steelers rotation on the defensive line. So this is a win-win for the Steelers. We add draft capital for next year, which, you know, helps us in 2021. That's great. Um, but in my opinion, forget the Brockers debacle. I think the Steelers win this deal overall. This was the one deal that if I'm going to question anything about what Eric DeCosta has done so far, and it's very little because there's not a whole lot of his decision-making to question, 
this would have been the one move that I kind of questioned. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't like the fact that you're doing it with the, with the division rival. I get your, you know, the, the positive sides of it, but there's just way too much negative here to, to make it make sense. Um, right. And, you know, we brought up Brockers, and I think the thing that, that we got to talk about with that, right? So the big thing that played the role in the Brockers move, obviously, was something they saw with the ankle when it came to whatever injury report they were looking at, right? right. And obviously, with everything happening, they can't have medical staff look at him. Yeah. They well, won't. Well, it's just, it's it's more difficult now. They got to go to like a third party. And it has uh, to be a mutually agreed upon third party. Right. It's not like the Ravens yeah. can just pick somebody. It, it has to be mutually agreed upon. So, like, that's playing a huge role in this and them not being able to do it. And they're they're saying, look, we're going to pay you on on the risk. And so I think, I mean, numbers never came out, but I think that, that dropped at least $2 million a year. Well, I, I don't know about the the actual financials to it. I think what happened was they actually they had an evaluation done. He had a high ankle sprain at the end of last year, right? And they had his physical done, and something popped up on that physical with that ankle that didn't look good. And the Ravens, before they signed him, decided to try to restructure the way that that contract deal was going to be laid out. It was probably more based on performance pay and you know game started and all that stuff just as a kind of security blanket for the ravens which makes sense right to make sure that if you're going to pay that kind of money and you're going to put yourself up against the cap like that that you're going to get the deal done with the player uh that's going to benefit your team the most as much as this deal falling apart sent me into a panic and it did i'll, I'll be honest with you when this deal fell apart and he ended up going back to the rams and signing a three-year deal with the rams you like, lose oh, Brockers, yeah. you lose Michael Pierce, you lose Chris Warmly. Holy shit, where are we getting this defensive line help now? Now defensive line has soared to the top of the list as far as holes yeah. with this team going into the draft. But not for long. <laughs> not for long. Have faith. Have faith in uh in Eric DaCosta and what he's able to do as as they're able to go out and get a guy like Derek Wolf from the Denver Broncos who this guy has been able to put up multiple double digit sack years. And again, a guy that lines up as a defensive end typically, but can shift inside. Uh, this was a big, big bounce back move. And I'll tell you what, I think this move is better than the Brockers deal. And here's why, because the three year, $30 million commitment is a big commitment to Brockers. That's that's three years. It is. Have to that's a lot. This guy. Yeah. It is. Right, And you've got some big, big contracts coming up that you're going to have to use a lot of your cap space for, right? You've got Marlon Humphrey coming up. You've got, you know, Lamar Jackson. At some point, you're going to have to pony up for him. You've got his left tackle and Ronnie Stanley that he's going to get ridiculous money. It's going to be over $20 million a year. At some point, you you talked about Lamar. The other guy that you got to remember right now that you're going to be paying the same time you are Lamar is Mark Andrews. Right. Let's exactly. not forget about so you, that. If you want to keep these pieces together – handicapping yourself with a three or $30 million deal on a defensive tackle might not make a whole lot of sense. So you get a player like Derek Wolf who comes in on a one year deal. It's a $6 million deal. Most of it, half of it is incentive based, right? And basically you get a guy that comes in and he's motivated. It's I what? need to have a big year. I need to show people that I'm not as injury prone as everybody thinks. And that's, that's like, if there is any knocks on him, He's that's had some injury one, yeah. history, uh, so that's the one knock on this guy. So you get a motivated guy to come in, a guy that can create pressure and is in a contract year. 
this makes so much sense for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on with that. When you look, when you look at his history, he he's he's got good but good potential. He's a strong guy, but the injury is the biggest thing. I mean, he he could be if he bounces back from this and sustains it, he could be a, a, one of the highest paid guys on the line. But he's right. got to prove it to everybody first. Right. DeCosta's well. genius in figuring this out and saying, "Let's go get this guy. It's going to cost us, you know, a quarter to maybe even." Uh, a fifth of what we were going to pay him because I think what the the guaranteed is what three and a half, yeah three and a yeah, half. Three. Whereas the Brockers deal was going to be somewhere a, about ten million. Yeah, and I I think I think of the ten million wasn't like eight guaranteed on his or they were saying something, eight guaranteed something close to that. Correct. So so you're you're dropping that by more than half as far as your guaranteed money. The remaining is bonuses, which you know you have all intents and purposes. You want him to play well. You want to pay out that bonus to him. Uh, right. So I think the the risk versus reward here is well above and beyond because if he fails and he's not doing well, then guess what? He's not getting the bonus. So exactly. at that point, now you're only in him for three and a half versus being in, in him for six. I think this is a yet another genius move by DaCosta. If you see Wolf doing well, I think you see what we saw with Bynes and LJ Fort where DaCosta gives them extension options. and Pot- Potentially. Yeah, potentially. I, like I said, I think this is more <clears throat> again, this is just kind of where my mind is at with this whole thing. And this is why I think this was a better deal is because this allows you to draft Wolf's replacement now. Right. But not have him have to start right away. He gets to sit behind a guy like Wolf or be a rotational guy behind Wolf and learn from a guy who's in it, who's been in it for a few years, who's been one of the better defensive linemen in the league, and he doesn't have to be exposed. You know, that was prop, that was kind of the problem with Jalen Ferguson last year, was Jalen Ferguson was forced into more snaps than he was really ready for. Jalen Ferguson Agreed. needed a year to learn, and I get it, like there is learning on the job, but we saw the downspot, you know, the downside to having him out there was he wasn't able to set the edge, especially against the run, like we needed him to. Well, we've talked that, about it too. It was the best option we had at the time. Yeah, it's it's a different speed, and if he's not getting the snaps, the snaps get used to the speed. He's not gonna get. He's not gonna do it. But at the same time, he wasn't the 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 piece that you wanted out there at that time. Last year was not a year for him to 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 get the reps in and get used to. It, it was just it just wasn't the case. We were in it to win it, especially when we went on the run and. To put him in there at that point would have been a, a great risk unless you absolutely have to, which is exactly the way it, w- it went down. So I, I think you're spot on with that. I think with Jalen Ferguson, it, it's it's not the long, not necessarily the long term answer. Can he, he have development? Yes, but I think you'll see a tag team between the two of them uh, when it comes to that that front line. So moving on from the defensive line, some of the other moves that we, two of which happened in the same day, one of which was. To me, unexpected. The Ravens re-signed cornerback Jimmy Smith on a one-year deal. This was a guy I did not expect to see back here in Baltimore. Even with him, you know, publicly saying he he really enjoys his time here in Baltimore. I think he's comfortable here. All of that said, I assumed another team would pay eight, nine million dollars a year for this guy. Because in my opinion, Jimmy Smith is still a starting quarterback in this league. He's just not a starting cornerback on this team right Exactly right now because of the options and because of how good of a secondary we have. But to be able to get this guy back, and this is the highway robbery type of deal that <laughs> Eric Costa was able to put together, a $6 million deal 
only three and a half of that is guaranteed. The extra two and a half comes in incentives, man. This Sounds like was, the wolf deal. <laughs> this was a steal of a deal. Yeah. For this Jim, as good as it gets. For Jimmy, what you're getting out of this, you know, I honestly think they went to Jimmy and, and asked him, look, we want to keep you on the team and we'd love to have you, but this is where we're at. And I think Jimmy took the discount a little bit. He said, I, you know, I, I need another year you know, to, to do it. But did you hear or see the interview that he had? There was a, a it was on the Ravens uh, site that he did an interview and basically it was no audio. It was just just the, the typed out interview. Um, but he basically said last year, I kind of especially once Marlon came on, I kind of knew that my role was going to be adjusted and needed to be adjusted. And he's like, and so now this year, I really anticipate that continuing to be the case. And he said, and honestly, I last year, a little bit of last year and now moving into the offseason, I've been preparing myself for an adjustment to doing more at the safety role. Yeah. What have we what been calling for? Been talking about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what we've been talking about. And I think that's great. That's great that he's mentally already there with that because his role just becomes even more valuable to this team, right? Because as great of a secondary as we have, this secondary was a little susceptible when Jimmy Smith wasn't healthy. When he wasn't out there, there was absolutely a difference in the way that the secondary you're, performed, If you're an right? offense, you're, you're approaching it differently if Jimmy Smith's on the field. Exactly. You're one injury away from Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Peters and then having who? Anthony Averett out there as your everyday starter? Exactly. Having, you know, uh, maybe Brandon Carr, if you bring him back on a cheaper deal, out there as your everyday starter. No disrespect to Brandon Carr. Brandon Carr had a great career here in in in, uh, in Baltimore, but his he was good in his role. When they needed him, when he needed to come in and kind of give a few snaps to other guys, that's his role. But to rely on him as your everyday corner wasn't a good fit. Jimmy Smith is that guy, right? And now yeah. being able, like you said, being able to shift him potentially out to safety to add some depth there, all this does is give Wink more creativity in that secondary to be able to use Jimmy in multiple roles. And I, I love that that interview because when he said that, he's like, you know, I, I expect to be covering maybe the slot a little bit more. And that's exactly yeah. what I want to see. I don't want to see what we saw at the end of last year, which was them putting Marlon Humphrey in the slot. When Jimmy's on the field, it should Jimmy should not be a quarterback. It should be you put Marlon and you put uh, uh, Marcus Peters on the outsides. Let Jimmy take the inside. That's genius because now if that inside move, if he goes over and does a slant route, Jimmy's able to cover that guy and has enough closing speed that I think if they make that jump, if you see him make a little bit more of a move, you could see Jimmy Smith have the most interceptions you've seen all year because now he's got time to react. He's got time to jump some of those across the middle routes. Well, he's got time to jump some of those outside routes. The, the one piece you're forgetting is Tavon, Tavon Young. The only reason that Mark forced into the inside was because Tavon Young was hurt, right? So he'll come back this year. He'll be fully healthy. The Ravens just paid him a, a pretty big contract. Uh, I think the highest paid uh, nickel corner in the league, at least going into last year. He, he also still needs to prove that he's come back fully from the injury. Yes, they they paid him. He's he's, but he needs to show on the field that I'm back and I'm I'm as good or better than I was before. Well, his contract will dictate that he's going to be out there playing. It's just a matter, like you said, of, of whether or not he's going to be healthy. But you know, by that time, which 
all things and everything that reports that I've heard is that he will be. So he will be your nickel corner. And again, that allows Jimmy to kind of float around wherever you need him. He can kind of fill in. If you need him in the slot, cool. If you need him out there at safety, he can, if you need him on the outside, he can, it just adds right. to the depth and really solidifies why I think this Ravens secondary is the best in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, Brian, the, Brian, you haven't said a whole lot, man. What's your take <laughs> on Jimmy Smith? I love it. I love. Sorry, I've been distracted. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. I love the fact that we're still retaining some of our old school guys. It's fantastic, and like uh, Fred and Scott, you guys have been saying, it bolsters our backfield. Our backfield to me is the number one backfield in this league. Mm-hmm. And even even with losing Jimmy Smith, I think it still would have been the number one backfield in the league. Um, but retaining him, man, that's what scary backfield. And what and just to kind of go on what you guys are talking about with the pickup of Calais Campbell, that defense is getting scary, man. I don't know what the cost is doing or how he's making these deals, but I mean, he is like the mastermind right now with shuffling these pieces around and stacking up this defense because. Man, I feel sorry for any quarterbacks coming into Baltimore or going or us going into opponent stadium yeah. this year. That's that's going to be nasty. I've got an well, interesting question for both of you guys. How much yeah. of a role do you think DaCosta has has let Wink kind of play in the decision making when it comes to this defense? Because obviously these guys these guys have to be a fit for Wink and what Wink thinks he can do with these guys. Do you think he's going to Wink and saying, here's what I'm looking at. You like this guy? Yeah, I mean, listen, all these guys have input. All of these guys, I mean, this it's not just somebody on a whim making a decision up in the front office because I'm on a power trip and that's how I'm going to operate. Like, Eric DaCosta's learned from one of the greatest GMs in NFL history with Ozzie Newsome, right? So right. he's incorporating everybody. He's incorporating all his coordinators, all his positional uh, coaches. He's making sure that this is the right fit, but obviously – he's putting the financial future of the team first and foremost, right. Without making sure that they're handicapping themselves from future moves or handicapping themselves from the potential of signing some of these big guys that we're going to have to sign over the next couple of years. So I'm all for the, all the moves that he's made so far. And I think one of the most underrated moves that went along with this Jimmy Smith move in the same day, they ended up re-signing defensive back special teams artist whatever you want to call him i call him co-cap anthony <laughs> levine this guy we've said it multiple times on the show he's kind of that swiss army knife he man. is you plug him in anywhere you can line him up as a linebacker you put him back in the safety i mean he can he can play all over the field this is one yeah. of those underrated guys it doesn't get the the notoriety i think that he's worth because he really brings value and you know john harbaugh special teams coordinator at heart he loves his guys and this yeah. guy is a special teams cat well and that's the thing is when you when you look at what he's able to do when he is on special teams we've seen him come up with some big plays on special teams uh, and that's what you're that's what you want you want a leader and a guy that you can depend on when it comes to special teams that knows this team inside now and to, to your point the swiss army knife thing goes way underrated right yeah. i i compare what you're doing with what he does Right. And this is just for me. What he does to what Steve Pierce was to the Orioles. Steve Pierce was a utility guy that when you asked him to do something, he'd do it. And sometimes it would he'd come out swinging and he'd hit a bomb. Right. 
Same with Anthony Levine. He's got some big stops on the defensive side of the of special teams. On the offensive side of the special teams, he's had some good recoveries in situations where guys have dropped the ball. He is just wherever you put him, he's service he's a serviceable cornerback if you need him to be. He's played a little bit of safety, a few snaps at safety here and there. It's just everything that you do with him, he steps up to the plate and takes it in stride. And he really is that utility guy of this team. And to your point, Kokap, I think he has a little bit of lot. I shouldn't. I'm not gonna say a little bit. He's got a lot of locker room respect from a lot, a lot of guys, seasoned and new guys in that locker room. Yeah, and again, the chemistry that he brings to that the secondary. You know, again, this is a guy that, like you said. All the guys in the locker room love him. Um, he is that quarterback on the special teams unit. If there is a quarterback on the special teams for us, it's him. Yeah, Chris Moore to uh, Steve's uh, Steve's point on on Facebook. Chris Moore is another great guy on special teams. I'm not the biggest fan of of Chris Moore as a wide receiver so far in the NFL. I think he's gotten opportunities and hasn't taken advantage of them. But I do like what he brings in value as far as the special teamers. And I know special teams doesn't get the glory that it deserves. But these are two key pieces, two key cogs that you got to keep around. I, to, to hit on Chris Moore for a second, I think Chris Moore is a little overrated. Uh, I am not, I have not been impressed on the special team side of things, what, what he's been able to do. You know, there was originally thoughts, all right, he's going to be able to pull us, you know, 20 yards a return. He's barely pulling 8 and 10 yards a return. It's yeah. one of those things that I, I am not impressed with what I've seen. I'd rather, honestly, see us be able to go get a wide receiver in the draft or, you know, maybe it's maybe it's Hollywood out there. I really wouldn't want Hollywood out there if he's fully healthy um, on yeah. special teams. What, but what do you want? Crack? I said Hollywood I really wouldn't. I'm, what, just throwing wrong ideas. With I'm throwing better ideas <laughs> yeah, than Chris Moore. One wide receiver out there on special teams. Right. Man, come on. He's hey, your Ryan. one. He's your number one right now. Right. <laughs> Right now, it don't the, matter. You don't throw him out there. I mean, the guy is just getting healthy. Don't, or, don't put him out there to potentially get get hurt. Don't again. you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> I'll get into that later. Just you wait, buddy. Just you wait. Oh, okay, well, listen. Last thing I'm gonna say on this whole thing. For me, this is the best secondary in the league as it's poached right now. But here's one more thing. Don't be surprised if Eric DaCosta still brings back. Brandon Carr on a budget type deal. All right, Scott, it's time for the liquor stop brew of the week. Unfortunately, being that I'm remote and that I am a few miles away from you, I was not able to get this week's brew of the week. So I'm very jealous of whatever you guys are drinking, but I do have my screwball. There you as go. Usual. <laughs> Make sure you stop by the liquor stop to get your screwball. It's just flying off the shelf. This was literally the last bottle when I went there three days yeah, ago, I'll, but I know here. that they're restocked now. If you so guys didn't see the original screwball. picture, stuff, should, should we remake the original picture in the in the beginning of the show? I think we should yeah. remake yeah, the right? original picture. There you go. Uh, but no, <laughs> no screwball. Screwball is good. Uh, but this week. Uh, Brian, if you don't mind putting the beer up again, that was it was a perfect shot on your camera there. Uh, this is from Key Brewing Company. This is their beer called All Days Off. This is actually they're calling it a Mexican lager. Uh, Jerry, when he handed me this, he he was like, "This is good beer." And one of the guys that was there was like, "Yeah, I've had that. That's a great beer." Da -da. And he said, "It's actually chuggable." And Jerry was like, "It is." It is a very light beer. It, it, it is smooth. Again, Key Brewing Company. <laughs> I don't know it's, by the look on Brian's face, though. What is that, Brian? Good, bad, or no, ugly? No, this is definitely, this is definitely it's, chuggable. It's good. Okay. Like, it is, like, it's 4.5. Oh, this thing, 
It's 4.4. So it, it's smooth. Okay. It's it's lighter. And it's honestly, I could see myself grabbing a case of this or even a six pack. I know that's how they sell it. I could see myself grabbing this and sitting back while I'm grilling and just popping these during the summertime. Um, nice. I, I think it's awesome. This is a great beer. And again, Key Brewing Company right down in Dundalk. Uh, so make sure, again, like, like uh, <laughs> Jesus, like Fred said, I, I started to point to you and I'm like, Fred's over there. <laughs> like Fred Don't said. Don't point at me. Like Fred one said. Thing, hey, one thing I got to mention about Liquor Stop. Oh, yeah. You guys haven't been up there yet. Uh, I was up there the other day. So five minutes after I was, noticed, by the way. Right. <laughs> Obviously, liquor stores are considered essential right now. Just Damn like straight else they in are. The world is considered essential right now. McDonald's is essential. So anything. Uh, I was walking in there the other day. They had employees walking around the store. Literally, they had two employees, and their entire job was to walk around with wipes, disinfecting wipes, and wiping off the door handles on all the coolers and wiping off the door handles at the front door. They're really doing everything that they can to make sure that they're staying sanitary and to make sure that your guys' health is first and foremost. Uh, they also offer curbside pickup. Yeah. Who does that right now as far as liquor stores go? I don't know of any other liquor stores. Not that I'm shopping anywhere else other than Liquor Stop, of course. But for them to be able to do that, you know, if you don't want to get out of your car, they will literally come up and deliver the, the alcohol to you. You don't even have to get out of your car. Yeah. At a time like this, we all need alcohol in our lives. I don't mean we need to be alcoholics, but we all need <laughs> alcohol in our lives. Right. We all need to kind of get through this. I got, I if got only a the screwball. I got a bar. I got a uh, glass here of honey whiskey. I, I'm doing good. I was going to pretty good for the night. And, I was going to say shows up in the chat right now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say if everybody could just see what was in front of each of us, as far as alcohol, we might look like alcoholics. I'm just that's saying. right. Make sure you get the liquor stop. Tell them Fred, Scott and Brian for Birdland BS sent you get your 10% off. All right, Scott, it's time for mock draft because, you know, that's that's been one of the things that everybody out there has been talking about is I put a post out the other day. I put a few out over the last couple of weeks, a couple of mock drafts that I've done, uh, and all of them have gotten really, really good reactions. And, again, credit to our boys, Sonny and Nubo, uh, on Facebook and on or on uh, YouTube. If you don't follow them, go check NF them out. Podcast, make sure you do go follow them. SCG Sports, both really good guys, both local content that cover the Ravens as well. Um, they did a special the other day where they evaluated the 2019 draft class. And I thought they did it pretty well. And I think that that's something that, you know, the three of us can kind of talk about look at this past draft class and just see what we feel as though did they live up to expectations? Did they exceed expectations? They were they below expectations? So I put together kind of a grading system, right? The way that this is going to work is anything that we give these players a plus down to a B for us means that they exceeded expectations. Okay. If they're B minus through a C minus, that means that they met expectations. If they're at a D plus through an E, they were below expectations. You failed. Right? So the, the thing that you got to keep in mind, right, is we can go through all these players, but you got to look at the round that they were, they were drafted in, right, and be realistic for yourself. Looking at these rounds that they were drafted in, how much did you really expect in their first year? 
right? Okay. So the first pick, obviously, the number 25 overall wide receiver, Hollywood Brown, uh, had a big, had a pretty big year in his first year, considering he came in at injured. He had yeah. a screw or two, I think, in his foot. I think it was two. Right? Yeah, so two. he was never, two. yeah, never at 100%. But the stats that this guy put up, he played 14 games. He had 11 games started, put up just under 600 yards receiving, 12.7 yards receiving. He had 10, or had, sorry, he had seven touchdowns, a couple of those coming in the very first game against Miami. Mm-hmm. So he jumped on the scene right away and made an impact. Scott, I'll start with you. Did Hollywood Brown live up to or exceed or not live up to your expectations? Uh, so I'll probably catch catch some crap for this. Um, Don't you do it. <laughs> my grade for Hollywood would be an A. And the reason okay. I say that is because when you look at, at everything that he was able to produce, some people say, you know, I, I know that our buddy Joe Nubo was saying that he really was expecting him to be over six or 700 yards uh, receiving this year. 600 yards for a guy that was coming off an ankle injury that I personally didn't want playing until week four. I still think yeah. to this point they rushed him too quick, and that's what caused his, you know, his a little bit less production. We'll call it Slow later in the, later in the season. And so for me, with everything that was put on the table, I was more than impressed with what he was able to do. My grade for how the Ravens handled him, however, would have been a D, because if they would have let him go about three weeks before putting him on. I think you'd have seen even better numbers than what you see right here on paper because you would have given him the time that he actually actually needed to fully heal. So him and A, I give the Ravens a D on how they handled him. All right, Brian, what's your take on Hollywood Brown? How'd you feel he did in his first year? I could have given him a B plus. I'm still leaving a little bit of room for growth. I mean, what we saw out of him in the Miami game, I mean, to come out full force like that, him and Lamar, that – that one-two punch that you saw, the connection that is going to grow, almost like Montana and Jerry Rice type of connection we saw yeah. in that Miami game, wow. is only going to grow and get better over time. I mean, those two are inseparable off the field. I mean, they hang out with each other. They're they're lifting weights with each other. They're practicing off the field with each other. So that connection is only going to grow. So that's why I'm kind of going with the B because I would leave a little bit of room to grow. But, man, if he would have been healthy coming out of the draft, Good God, man. I, I, I don't know. I, I think they could have made that comeback in the Titans game. I mean, don't get me wrong. He had a phenomenal game in the Titans game. I, mean, he had a, I think he had a drop or two that, that may have cost him. Right. But, um, man, if he would have been completely healthy this year, I don't know if anybody could have caught him. I mean, because you saw his speed, but with two screws in your foot, man, you know that's got to hurt, and that's got to hold you back a little bit. So, that to me, it's a B just because I, I want to see what he can do at an A-plus potential when he's completely healthy, which I think he's going to at the beginning of this season. Yeah, for me, his expectations, for my expectations going into the year, I didn't have the highest of expectations like some people did because I knew going into the year he wasn't going to be 100% healthy. Like, I knew that going. So for me, I'm going to give him an overall grade of B-plus. I think – for him to be able to do what he did playing on that foot with the true screws, showing the flashes that he showed that big catch. Now, granted it was a great throw, but the big catch that he had it there in week two against Arizona, Arizona game. Uh, yeah. That was, yeah, that, that was huge. 
Obviously, the big game that he had in week one against the Dolphins, he made a few catches here and there down the road. He had a big game against the Rams. Uh, listen, he wasn't consistent the whole way through the year, but I didn't expect him to be consistent. He was a rookie, right? And he was forced into a starting role because of the lack of options that we had at wide receiver. Like that's That just goes to show how weak our wide receiver core was going into this year. Right. But the chemistry that he was able to build with Lamar very, very quickly – um, and do that at probably, if I'm going to put a number on it, at 80%. The sky is the limit for this guy. His ceiling is very, very high. I, I'm i pretty pretty impressed with what he did in his first year uh, with the Ravens. So we're all, we're so, all in fairly, fairly good alignment there. Yeah. So, so, one, so one thing Steve was bringing up in the chat, which I got to agree with, which is why I was commenting about <clears throat> Brown, is his crazy workouts. I don't know if you guys have seen the Twitter or YouTube have, videos yeah. of this guy. He is bulking. He is putting some muscle on him. Yep. I, I mean, yes, he he's was preparing to be a physical receiver. He he is. Unlike I, I, I don't know who to really compare it to. Like I guess Odell o, Odell Beckham might be one. I mean, he's got some solid muscle, I, and he's not afraid of going over the uh, across the middle. I, I think, but like, but like Steve was bringing up, man, he is just he he wants to be the best wide receiver in the league. I, and, and that determination and, and that's is a great what point. I love. That's a great point, and that's exactly what we saw out of right? Lamar from year one to year two, the Uh jump that he made, right? And we saw in the offseason all the work that he was putting in. We're now seeing that from Hollywood. He's putting a little bit of bulk on. He's putting a little bit of muscle on. He's putting in the runs. I mean, him and A.B., listen, all the shit you want to give A.B., and and rightfully so because of everything that he does, you can't discount how much of a how good of an athlete he Fred, is, you right? better not be getting ready to say sign a no i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna, i'm not going there i still don't think that he's a good fit for this locker room this team but just from a pure football perspective right a b in my opinion to this day is still a top three wide he's a talent yeah league. you put mm-hmm. him in the league right now he's a top three he's wide a generational receiver. talent top, top. Top right. number one nutcase in a league, though. You oh, a hundred percent. And yeah. again, that's just putting all that aside. Well, all the the craziness. Put all that shit aside for a second. Just look at what he does on a football field, and for him to get down there, and you can see the kind of work that AB's putting in in the off season. Hollywood's down there doing the same stuff with him. He's getting a lot of footwork in. He's working on his route running, which was what one of his criticisms coming out of college was: how good of a route runner is he going to be? That's what he's focused on right now. He knows where his weaknesses are, and he's focused well, on it. The sky is the limit for Hollywood. But let's move on for a second. Let's let's on, move on because we're going to spend too much time. I want to take one more statement. One more statement. When it comes to Hollywood, with him putting on this weight, expect him to be a Steve Smith style receiver with speed, more speed, I should say. Yeah, Steve Smith's going to be a little bit more physical than Hollywood, even with the weight. Steve Smith was just nasty. He was just a nasty dude. He was just a, an ignorant SOB. And you know what? I loved him for it. That is what Steve Smith is. Give him all the credit in the world. One of the best wide receivers. One of the most fun wide receivers I've ever, yeah. Yeah, I've ever watched in NFL. He, he was he was Heinz Ward in a Ravens uniform is, is what he was. I That's mean, actually a very, very yeah. good comparison. I've never heard somebody compare it to, to Heinz Ward, but that's a good comparison. So, 2019 Ravens didn't have a second round pick. They had two third round picks. The first third was the 85th overall. That was outside linebacker Jalen Ferguson. We talked about him earlier in the show. This was a guy that was kind of forced, I think, into a role into more snaps than he was probably prepared for uh, being a third round pick. 
didn't have a huge impact. I want to say he had like two and a half sacks on the year. I think he had 31 tackles, played in 14 total games, but he only started nine of those games. Brian, I'll start with you. Jalen Ferguson, where do you see him as far as exceeded, met, or below expectations? I think he met expectation for All me. Right. Um, sorry, I've got a little bit of an issue. You guys <laughs> That's all right, Scott. What are you? What's your Sorry, take man. on Jalen? No, for me, I think with Jalen, it hurts to say this because I did have high expectations for Jalen coming in. You know, this is a guy that let's not forget what he did in the NCAA, surpassing the record of one Terrell Suggs, right? Yeah. When it came to sacks, right. so we had. I personally had high expectations. His ability to set the edge was strong. Everything was there, but I tell you what. I don't think it translated well to the NFL. My grade to him, I have to say it, it's going to be a D. He had wow. two and a half sacks on the year. He only had 31 uh, tackles on the year, com combined tackles, 20 solo tackles. I was not impressed with what I was. He was not able to manhandle the front line like you would have expected or you would have wanted. I did, I was I was below expectations and I'm I'm giving him that. I probably could have given him Man. a C minus, but I'm giving him a D. Maybe even I'll give him a D plus because he got out there, but I was not impressed with what I saw out of Jalen Ferguson. I, Brian, you I, look like you're itching. Go ahead. Yeah, I I liked his run stopping defense. Now you're right. The the pass when it came to the pass you know, pass or, or rushing the passer, he did struggle. But man, his run defensive skills I thought was a little it, it was there. It was good enough for the Ravens. So, man, you beat a little harsh on him, I think, Scott. But that's Scott being Scott and flailing <laughs> arms at all. But, um, man, be, be a little easy on, on him, Scott. I mean, come on, man. He did very good at times. I'm going to say at times. Yes, there were times where he got beat off the um, the offensive line, was able to push him around a lot, a lot. But when it came to the pat or, or run defense, he did very, very good. I think he was, to me, at least a C-plus. Uh, and that's right where I was going to be. I'm going to give him a C plus um, you guys are because being of the progression, because of the progression he made. You got to remember, he's a third round pick. He's not a second round. He's not a third round pick. So your expectations have to be tempered because he's a third round pick to begin with. Right. He was forced into a role and in, 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 into playing more than he probably should early on because of the lack of options that we had. But what I liked about Jalen is I felt like I saw progression week in and week out. In the beginning of the year, I was a little scared. I, Based on his production and his ability to set the edge against the run, I didn't like it. Nick Chubb ran all again, you know, all over us uh, in that Browns game, and he was a big part of not being able to do, you know, stop the run there. <laughs> so, but what I saw from that game until week 15, week 16 was improvement. So for me, I'm going to give oh. Jalen Ferguson a C plus. I think that he's borderline. Yeah. Met expectations to almost, for me, almost exceeded expectations. Uh, let's move on to yeah. the other third-round pick. I'll start with this one. This was the 93rd overall pick, wide receiver Miles Boykin. <sighs> Played in 16 games, started 11, um, had 198 yards receiving on 13 receptions on three touchdowns. For me, I'm going to give this guy a D. 
Um, I did have higher expectations for Miles Boykin because he was that one big body receiver that I thought could come in and make an immediate impact regardless of what round he was drafted in. I had high expectations for this guy. I thought the numbers that he able, he was able to put up at Notre Dame and the impact that he was able to make in that offense would translate well into this offense, especially in the red zone. Kind of like how Lamar uses his tight ends and those big bodies over the middle and in the red zone and that kind of thing. I thought I would see more of that out of Miles Boykin. He made a big impact in the preseason, which got me even more excited about him. Because right. I thought, man, if that's mm-hmm. going to translate to the regular season, we're going to see some really good stuff out of Miles Boykin. You and I went to training camp, and he we was really physical at training what camp. We saw out of Miles Boykin there, <laughs> yeah. right? He did really, really well in training camp, but it just didn't translate to the year. Um, part of that, I think, is maybe Lamar's comfort level with Miles, and I think those two need to work on that. I want to see Miles down in Florida with Lamar working on routes and r- working on you know their technique and that stuff together, uh, because Miles Boykin still for me has a big role in this offense moving forward. Uh, but for me, like I said, I-, I think that he did not meet expectations for me. Okay, for me, I, I look at it and I say. I'm trying to look at the overall picture, right? That's one of the things we talked about. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knocked Hollywood for how the the Ravens handled him, right? This one, that's one of the knocks I would have on Miles was he didn't, he wasn't able to develop that chemistry, right? Right. But what big body wide receiver did Lamar have chemistry with? Not a wide receiver, but it was <laughs> tight end. It was Mark Andrews. That's my point. When it came down to the red zone where you might want, you know, you either are going to go to your tight end or you're going to go to that big body wide receiver out in the corner, he we didn't really see a lot of corner throws, and that's why we didn't see a lot of touchdowns because those touchdowns at the goal line and inside the red zone, those were going to Mark Andrews. Those throws were going to Mark Andrews. They weren't going to, to, to Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin, I was impressed with what I saw out of him. At, you know, you talked about, you know, on 13 receptions, 198 yards. That's 15 yards of reception. Yeah. That's that's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive numbers, right? And he, I don't he, have I don't have I think he had it was oh no, I do have it right here. He had 22 targets, right? A little bit of drops. I give a little a little? I'd give oh. him a C plus to a B minus. Wow. I crack. Brian, what do you got? Crack. To what give got? him a B minus C plus score, dude. Come on. It was the one guy out of how I think he had higher expectations to me than Hollywood coming into this year. I and to me, the fact the fact that Lamar was not throwing to him because he kept dropping the ball in big key situations over and over again, Boykin kept dropping the ball. That's why I there was times I could have swore Lamar saw him up and he's going, I can't throw to this guy because it's a 50-50 chance he's going to catch the damn ball. So you know what? I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to throw to somebody like Andrews who I can rely on to go up and get the ball. But that was the problem. There's a lot of goal line situations where I thought that Boykin could go up and get the ball, but Lamar's just, he's not comfortable with him just for the fact that he doesn't, uh, Boykin does not have the surest hands on his team. And I get that. But man, there was a couple times this year where it hurt them, where he dropped easy catches, easy catches that he should have made. I don't know if you need to put stick them on the guy's hands or what you got to do, but that was the whole reason I think Fair that enough. connection wasn't there with Boykin and Lamar is just that he dropped too many balls. Well, that brings up that brings up a good point, and we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that next week. But I think Lamar 
needs to work on expanding his ability to read the field a little bit, being able to read his check down, being able to read through his progressions and seeing other receivers versus getting focused on maybe one or two guys. Cause we saw a lot of that this year. Agreed. Uh, next pick fourth round 113th overall. This was a guy that I was super high on going into the draft and a guy that I was happy that we got running back justice Hill. Scott, I'll let you kick this one off. All right. So when it comes to justice Hill, obviously his he kind of wasn't getting the full load, right? Which I yeah. personally didn't expect him to get a full load, especially once, you know, the Ingram deal came about and we knew what Gus Edwards can do. I expected him to be in a much lighter role. Um, he was able to get out of the backfield, be a, a pass catching tight end. We saw him have, I think what nine receptions or eight, eight receptions, for 70 yards. You mean out, pass catching, running pass. Back ca- yeah. You. you know, pass catching. That's one of the things that I think was, is impressive to me was, I was expecting we knew his speed out of the, out of the backfield once he had the ball and got into open space. So then be right. able to translate that on the pass catching, be able to get eight yards per carry or eight yards per reception on that. I think it really plays a role in that. Um, for me, I, I I would say with what I was expecting versus what he gave me, I'll give him a B minus area. I, I think B minus, yeah. maybe even B. You know, he kind of was right where I thought he would be. His usage was right where I thought it would be. So I, I kind of. Ex- saw what I expected. I would like to see that translate next year. I'd like to see the development, see them use him a little bit more because his speed is dangerous. We saw that a few times in the open field when he was getting the ball. uh, And I think it can translate. It's just, he wasn't getting the bulk of the carries and I didn't expect him to. So for me, B minus to a B. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. I think I'm going to give this guy a B just because he definitely, for me, met expectations. When you've got a guy like, Mark Ingram above you, and you've got Gus Edwards above you, which I'll be honest with you, Gus Edwards could be a starting running back, a number one featured running back on probably 15 to 20 teams out there in the NFL right now. So we are kind of spoiled at riches right now at running back, having Justice Hill come in as that kind of third down running back, like you said, the guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, make some plays with his feet. I thought I might see the Ravens get a little bit more creative with him. I thought that I might see a little bit more explosion out of him um, because he, he is a guy with great quickness. He has good speed. Um, he's got good lateral movement. So there's a lot of things to like about justice Hill. Did his stats blow you away in, you know, this year? No, but again, he's 113th overall fourth round pick. So your expectations again, behind Mark Ingram and, and Gus Edwards have to be kind of tempered. I think he, for me, he met those expectations. He didn't do anything spectacular to exceed them, but he met them. Quick Brian. question for you. Well, I'll, quick question for you, Fred. I, I wanted to ask you because you were so high on him. Were you surprised in the, the the lack of usage of him on special teams with that speed and that that ability with the open field? Yeah, right. I mean, listen, I, I do think that obviously, you know, John Harbaugh's got an enamorment with Chris Moore, and they brought in. Um, Christ, I can't think of his name right now. The the wide receiver they got from uh, from uh, Kansas City. I can't think of him as a return guy. Oh, I yeah. thought we might see him as a bigger impact in the return game. Yes, um, but you know it is what it is. I, I do, do. I think his his role becomes expanded into twenty twenty uh, this coming year. Yes. Okay, Ryan, what's your take on uh, Justice Hill? So I like Joseph Hill. I, he re, kind of remar- reminds me of like Marshall Falk-ish, being able to catch the ball out of the backfield and kind of make some plays with his feet. It, um, I got to give him a C just because I think he didn't get the ball enough. It's, I mean, like like we were saying, man, he just 
I think he'll be a bigger impact than this year coming up. And I, I see his grade going up to a B. But uh, when he had the ball in his hands, he was dynamic. I mean, he yeah. he was looking to hit people, too. Right. When he had that okay. ball in his hands, he was running downfield. He wanted to hit people. And to me, I got to give him a C, just the fact that I don't think that the Ravens did enough to put him in the offense in good key situations to utilize his talent. So that's why I got to give him a C. But, man, I am surely looking forward to seeing what this kid can do next year. All right. And then the next four picks – there really isn't an easy way to grade these guys because they just, you know, when you're talking late fourth round, fifth round, sixth round picks, how much opportunity are they really going to get? So to say that they met expectations, exceed expectations, it is what it is. You had Ben Powers who came in, he played one game, he had 30 snaps. I think his role severely increases this year. It must. Obviously, considering uh-huh. that Marshall Yonda is not there now, I think he will step up into a prominent role. So we'll get a good evaluation on him this year. Amon Marshall was the big head scratcher for me. I told you last year that, and I tell you this year, the Ravens should always draft a corner. I just didn't expect it to be in the fourth round considering the you know, the defensive backs that we had last year. And Amon Marshall wasn't a guy that jumped off the papers for me as a great corner and didn't seem like the right pick for the Ravens there. Played 47 total snaps, four on defense, 43 on special teams. He's another special teamers that I expect to be play a bigger role this year. Yeah. Uh, defensive tackle, Daylon Mack. This was a guy that until we brought in Calais Campbell, until we brought in Wolf, I thought we'd see an expanded role from him. We'll probably see him in a rotational role again this year. We'll see him get a little bit more snaps because he only had nine this past yeah. year, including one on special teams. Not a whole lot to expect or you know see out of him in his first year. The one, I guess, surprise for me was sixth-round draft pick, 197th overall quarterback, Trace McSorley. We had talked about it going into the offseason last year. If the Ravens draft a cornerback or a, a quarterback late in the draft, does he actually have a legit chance of making this roster? You know, you pay the extra money to keep an RG3 around. The Ravens don't traditionally carry three quarterbacks. So I'll start with you, Scott, on Trace McSorley. Were you ex- were you surprised that Trace McSorley made the roster this year? And do you think that he'll be an option or he'll be a lock to make the roster going into this year? Pre-training camp, I didn't I thought he had no shot. Right. Based on what you and I saw in training camp, I started to talk about it. We started talking about it on the show. I thought he had a shot at making the team. I saw us starting to, to carry three quarterbacks. I was, however, disappointed. Another guy that I was disappointed in the usage that they had with Tracing Sorley. I think, do they see him as a long-term backup to Lamar? Potentially. But then you nix a lot of that by re-signing RG3. So I I was surprised that they then didn't turn around and say, let's use him in a Taysom Hill-type situation. Because he does have the ability. He's got good speed with his feet. Kid's quick, Right. And so then you have another threat back there that you've got to watch. And then you got to watch out for Lamar with his feet. you got to watch out for Lamar with his with his arm. Now you have right. Trace. You can do flea flickers. You can do a lot of different things. I was really disappointed in their usage of him this year. I think he had a lot of potential based on what I saw in training camp. For him personally, he got one right. snap for one rush for one yard. And it was it was downtime. There was no yeah. reason for him to really honestly even be out there. Right. So for me, 
I can't grade him. I can't because I think well, that the usage so was give, poor. So you give an MA, an NA, and I, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I, well, I, I, think I can't give him a I, score. I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him a B plus just for the sheer fact that he made the roster. Okay, fair enough. Because fair enough. Yeah, fair. When, when you look at what the Ravens traditionally do, they don't traditionally carry three, or three quarterbacks. I thought. To your point, I thought if the Ravens keep him, they would probably use him in a Taysom Hill type of, you know, role. Right. Where they would put him out there and you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. Because I'm not going to say he is Taysom Hill because he's not. He doesn't have the strength that no, Taysom Hill no, has. No, no, no. You can't put him in a tight end in tight end spot and expect him to be able to, to block or to be able to, you know, no, get in an open field. He's not that kind of guy. He's not no. built that way. But he does the he does have the athleticism that he can be a running back, he can be a quarterback back and he can be a wide receiver that you can line him up in a couple of different roles or if he is in the backfield you got to account for where he was so I was kind of surprised at the little activity that 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 he had with this offense I mean he only had one offensive snap I think he rushed for a yard or two or something you know he didn't really do a whole lot so I'm just going to give him a, a, a B or B plus just for the sheer fact that he made the roster I do think in 2020 uh he will make the roster again because I think Personally, I think this is the last year that you see RG3 in a Ravens uniform. I think he gets another shot elsewhere uh, with another team, even though right now quarterbacks are kind of in abundance. You know, we got a bunch of free agent quarterbacks that haven't even signed yet. We got new guys coming in from the draft this year. I still think once everything shakes itself out, injuries and everything that happened throughout the year, I think RG3 will end up on another team at the start of next year. Um, just because I think personally he wants a change. He expect, wants a move. He wants a chance to start somewhere. I expect RG3 to be traded by the deadline, honestly. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. I mean, it, it, that could very well that could very well happen. So, again, we talked about this pre-show. We were going to do, uh, by popular demand, a live mock draft. Because a lot of you guys out there, I don't know if you've used it yet or if you haven't yet, the Draft Network puts together a really, really simple way to do a mock draft it's a really intuitive way you get all the notes that you need on a on a positional player uh as far as you know deciding on what player you're going to take and uh yeah i've done a few of them uh, a lot of the guys that i follow on social media on twitter have done a few of them they've all gotten really really good responses so i figured we would do one collectively uh as a group here live and we're going to put it up for everybody to watch we're so, going to put it up for all you guys to watch live. Make sure you're commenting in the stream. Let us know if you agree with our pick, who else you would pick in that situation. Listen to us debate because the three of us are going to kind of debate it out. Figure this out is a like, war room. we're in a war room trying to figure this out, like a John Harbaugh, like an Ozzy Newsom, like an Eric DaCosta, sharing this all this information and why we would go one way and ultimately come up with a pick for each round. So, Scott, Take it away and get this thing started. All right, man. I'm going to go ahead and get this. We're going seven rounds here. We're going fast. You get to pick how you want to do it. We're going to do a manual draft because we're going to pick no our trades, spots. No trades. No trade proposals. Nope. We'll take way oh, too Thank trade. God. <laughs> we're just going to pick straight up where the Ravens have their draft picks from here on out. All right. So, so here we go. Scott, kick it off. Start in the draft. And here we go. So with the first pick, it was actually Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Derek Brown. Uh, obviously, all the usual suspects. Yeah, all the yeah. usual guys. Henry Ruggs goes at 12 to Oakland. Um, I think uh, another guy. Oh, Kenneth Murray goes at 21. Fred, Patrick what are we going to do? Kenneth Murray. Shocker. Wow. Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray both gone. 
Come on, so my guy, stay there. My guy, stay there. <laughs> so the two guys that have been projected the most to the Ravens, if you've been on social media and you've been watching anything out there, yeah, everybody has either Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray, for the most part, going to the Ravens with this first pick. So this puts us in a situation now. I've done a bunch of mock drafts so far, right? And over the last, I'm going to say, two to three weeks, any wide receiver that I would consider taking in the first round has been gone, right? Well, we're left with a guy here that I think makes a ton of sense for the Ravens, and that's wide receiver out of Baylor, Denzel Denzel Mims. This is a guy, 6'3", 206 pounds, big, physical, but yet fat. Think Think Miles Boykin, but so much better, right? He's got the ability to run routes. He's got the the quickness. He's got the the ability to use his body to get position. There's a lot of things that I like about this guy. He's got really, really good hands. Uh, there's, There's just a lot to like about him. And for me, if I'm going to take anybody that's right on this top board here, obviously we know that a big hole for the Ravens is wide receiver, but another big hole is edge rusher. Um, Gross Matos out of Penn State is there. Epinesa, who SCG Sports, our boy, has been really high on out of Iowa, is there. What are you two thinking with this pick? Go ahead, Brian. I love you, Fred. God, I love you. Because <laughs> you guys know I have been so high on this kid. So high on this kid ever since his draft stock rose. I, he, I To me, he... Just to, to bring Mims in and be complimentary to... Hollywood, that's a sexy one-two punch. I don't want to go against if I'm a, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I got to see those two guys against the I'm going against those two guys. And you got Andrews as a tight end, and you know these guys can go down the field. Man, that's sexy. Mems is just a beast. Like Fred was saying, I think this kid will be scary for defensive coordinators. I mean, the All kid right. has just got some height to him, and he's got. I mean, I do get it that his hands might be marginal at best, but man, he can. He can fly too. Two out of three so far on Denzel Mims, Scott. I like De- I like Denzel Mims, but I'm going to throw something out there and make you guys think for a second. Right? We know that we need additional help on you know, or we were expecting to potentially have the additional help on on the front line. Right? We were looking at edge rushers. Right. But somebody that's on this that I want to also pay attention to where they come from. Neville Gallimore. This kid is an inside defensive lineman out of Oklahoma. Yeah. At 6'2, 304 pounds. This guy can throw his weight around. He comes from a place that this team knows well. We've drafted well out of Oklahoma in the past. I'm just throwing it out there. I love your MIMS. I'll go for the MIMS, but I just want to throw it out there that in this situation, if this were to fall this way, personally, I would I could see the Ravens maybe going that route. First round for me has got to be the biggest impact. It's got to be the guy that can make an immediate impact right away. And we've already talked about some of the moves that the Ravens have made on the defensive line, right? They brought some guys in that are stop gaps. I'm not saying we're not going to draft interior defensive line because it's still a need for the future, but it's not an immediate need for this year. Wide receiver, in order to put more weapons around Lamar, 
you got to start putting more playmakers around him. Denzel Mims is that guy. He's a big blocking wide receiver. He said it in an interview. Like there's so much to like about this guy. I think he's that one player. That's not only the best player available in my opinion from the wide receiver spot, but he's, he's just the right fit for the Ravens. I'm taking Denzel Mims there uh, at number 20. All right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to go Denzel Mims. We're going to move on from there. Gallimore so goes to San Denzel Francisco. Mims paired with Hollywood Brown paired with, you know, Miles Boykin, Mark Miles Boykin throw him in there too. Right. I mean, you throw in Miles Boykin year two. You weren't, you're expecting to see that growth. There's a lot to like about Denzel Mims there. So now we are in the second round. Uh, the first of two picks in the second round. We're number 55 overall. We still had that need for inside linebacker. We still have that need for an offensive lineman. And obviously we had the need for an edge rusher, right? So we're kind of looking at this board. KJ Hamler, another wide receiver. You could have back-to-back wide receivers here. KJ Hamler is another guy uh, very similar to uh, Hollywood Brown in his ability as far as speed and size and athleticism and all. He's a good pick. I don't like the fact that he's from Penn State because we're Maryland fans, <laughs> right? We don't like anybody out of Penn State. But if you're taking that bias out of it at 5'9", 176 pounds, the type of speed that he has, the type of wiggle that he has, there's a lot to like about him. But if you scroll down a little bit there, uh, Scott. We're going to take uh, Hamler off of here. Who there's are some guys out here that might make a little bit more sense for the Ravens, right? Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona Ooh. State. I know we already took, I know we already took Denzel Mims, right? Brandon Ayuk, what was what was one of the biggest glaring needs that we had that kind of flew under the radar for the Ravens last year? Returner, right? We didn't have any explosion in the return game. We didn't have any big plays. We didn't have any plays that flipped the field last year. How many, we were spoiled with this success that we had from, you know, uh, Jacoby Jones and Jermaine Lewis and all the good returners that we've had over the We had nothing in the return game. Brandon Ayuk, not only does he bring great value as a wide receiver and would complete that wide receiver core, but he brings value in what he brings on special teams. So you got to think about that. That's one option. Brian, if you're looking at what's on the board here, what's your brain at? Where are you looking? So I like Marlon Davidson, defensive lineman. I okay. just going just going by what's on the board, kind of doing what the Ravens do best is they kind of assess what's out there, best man available. Marlon Davidson, why not? I know the Ravens have been very heavy in the offseason with their defense. Why not do what the Ravens do best is they see defensive talent? And I like Marlon Davidson from Auburn. Uh, to to kind of come into the Ravens situation and kind of learn the 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 Ravens way and be able to to help this team next year. Is he still on the board? I don't even see him, so that's why I'm looking. Is he at... not on the board? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought he was still on the board. No, because see, like if I was going to look at it, yeah, he's not rusher, on the board. It was going to be Aquara, and he was literally taking one pick <laughs> before oh, us. Jesus. So oh, I don't see bad. him on the board. No, he's there. not on the board. Oh, Jesus. I, I mean, I'm you do at. have a Raekwon Davis. If you're looking for an interior defensive that. lineman, Raekwon Davis out of Alabama fits the mold for us. And obviously he's an Alabama guy. He's a guy that mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously Ozzie Newsom would be high on. Um, so if you're looking, you know, interior defensive line here, six, seven, 312 pounds as a big boy. 
as a real big boy. He's got all the power. He's got the arm length. He's got everything that you would want in an interior defensive lineman. He might be like kind of that, that same Michael Brockers, but as a rookie, right? He would be very similar to him. But I know you and I, Scott, have talked about in the past the importance of the offensive line. We haven't addressed the offensive line here. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the offensive line, you have two guys that are on the board right now in Lucas Niang out of TCU. But the guy that I think and I like, and I'm sure that you do because he comes from a place that you really like, that's going to be Jonah Jackson out of Ohio State. You know, this yeah. guy's 6'4", 310 pounds. We're talking about 6'2", and 304 pounds. 6'4", 310 pounds. This guy is physical. He is yeah. able to he's able to really throw some guys around when you look at everything and his positives, you know, his inside awareness, his experience, he has a lot of that. He can finish the play. He's got light feet. That's the type of stuff that you need out of that off out of that defensive or I'm sorry, that offensive line. You need them to be like you need somebody that can protect Lamar. I think Jonah Jackson for me makes some sense here. The only other guy that I would even be considering here would only two guys would be Hamler or one guy you mentioned explosiveness might be Devon Peoples Jones, the guy that had some of the best explosive numbers in in the uh, the combine. Yeah, listen, for me, there's a couple of other wide receivers. This is one of the deepest drafts that we've had probably in 20, 25 years as far as wide receivers go. There's going to be guys that you can get late. I'm talking fourth, potentially even fifth rounders that can make an immediate impact just because of how deep this draft is at wide receiver. As much as I like K.J. Hamler and I'm surprised that he's there at 55, I don't know, especially after taking uh, a wide receiver in the first round, if he's the right pick there. Uh, so scroll down a little bit more. I want to see. Keep going a little bit further. Uh, a little bit further. This has not gone how you and I had looked at some of these before the show. No, no. <laughs> this draft is definitely not shooken out the way I would expect it to shake out. Take uh, the current big board and change that to inside linebacker. All right. Or linebacker. Let's look at the linebacker course. There you go. Malik Harrison's your top guy there. All right. Yeah. So we're going to hold off on linebacker. So take that off and go back to the the, uh, preemptive everybody. And I think, honestly, if I'm going to take somebody here, I'm probably going to take yang out of all out of tcu personally me just because like i said you can't right now you can't rely on the fact that that matt skur is going to be back 100 percent by week one you've already lost marshall yonda you lost james hurst because of the suspension and the ravens ended up releasing him you're really depleted as far as offensive line depth this is a guy at six seven 328 pounds can kind of be moved around uh he can be moved inside if need be uh, and he gives you that depth right he would be a replacement for james hurst in the sense that he can be moved around on the offensive line i'm taking niang there at 50 all right that's my opinion i'll agree with that i I think that that could make some sense my only my only issue with him is is because of that he has had some hip injury right so That's that's my one knock against him. That if you're going offensive line, that's where I would go back to Jonah Jackson. And 
while he still has a little, you need to work with him a little bit more on his on his foot, his feet technique. He's got strong hands. He doesn't have an injury history. That's where I'd have to I'd have to go Jackson over Niang. What do you think, Brian? Um, I agree with you, Scott. It's like I really can't see the board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you look at Discord, you should be able to see it. Mm. Oh, you might not be able to see. He was you were having issues seeing us before. That's right. I I'm forgot about issues. that. I'm sorry, man. That's all right. All right. Yeah, I'll go with it. Let's go ahead. I think it's a little early to go for him again. The offensive line help in the draft is kind of limited. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and go with your pick then, Scott. All right, so yeah, we're gonna go with Jonah on that one. We'll go with that one. We got a couple of picks later at number sixty. This is where, for me, it might be a little reach. It might be a little early, but again, it's a big need. It's a guy that a lot of people are high on. That's Willie Gay Jr., inside linebacker. That I know our boy. Uh, uh, Garnett, he's been really, really high on this guy. He opened me up to him, 6'1", 243 pounds. He's a little raw. Uh, he's got some off-the-field issues, some things, some red flags with that. But just from a pure talent standpoint, this is a guy that can come in and make an immediate impact, a guy that has a high ceiling and, again, in a position of dire need. He has the sideline-to-sideline quickness. Yes. Uh, so that he can make those tackles against the run. And again, I think the way that the uh, cost has been building this defense has been to stop the run because that's ultimately what got us eliminated in the first round of the playoffs was Derrick Henry yeah, and I mean, running all over us, right? He's done that to be able to help the defensive line. Now he needs to do that at linebacker. I think Willie Gay Jr. makes a lot of sense here. I mean, I think I agree with you here. I think, you know, despite the fact that he's had some suspensions in college, you know, I think it's one of those things that when you look at it, he's aggressive on the field. And yeah. that's something that we, we want to continue to have. There's some knock with his aggressiveness that it's to, that it's almost to the point of like being a little reckless. Uh, yeah. But for me, I, I like the aggressiveness. I like the challenge that he presents. His size at 6'1", 243, he's not over he's not a huge huge guy so he's got strong mobility that's going to come with that he's going to have some strong speed with that um and so i I think that plays into what we need what do you think brian you thinking anybody um yeah i know you can't see the boards no you're gonna have to pass on me again i'm sorry (laughs) all right that's fine so I'm, i'm trying to get to the board well, the board is on our screen, so it might not. It might you might not be able to do this. this is, unfortunately, folks, this is the downfall to some of this mobile stuff. Uh, is that um, we have issues where some people can see it, some people can't. I know, Fred, you couldn't see some some of the stuff yesterday when we were testing this out. Uh, so, right. all right. So, do you think based days, off what so we said? That's all right, Brian. Do, do you think based off what we said, Willie Gay Jr. sounds like a pretty good pick for us out of Mississippi State? I love it. I think it's a really good pick. Um, okay. All right, so we're going to go Willie Gay Jr. with pick number 60. We're going to let it roll here. Uh, we got a, plenty of guys that, you know, continue to be on the board. Um, I think we're – So we've got – 92 we've got, is our next pick, right? We've got our linebacker. We've got our wide receiver. We've got a offensive lineman. I think, obviously, the big glaring hole right now is the edge rusher, right? That's obviously our biggest need right now. Um, Not a lot of guys our, late in the draft when it comes to the edge, though. What's that? There's not a lot of guys late in the draft when it comes to the edge. The edge rushers really are within the first three rounds is where we the, the guys that would make an immediate impact, that's where they would have been. 
Yeah, let's f- filter out by edge rusher, see what's out there, see what's available. So Jabari Zunga out of Florida uh, is yep. one of the top guys who's not bad. Highsmith, Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte. I, I know that there's been a lot of t- – I've seen some talk about him just because he's big, but he's light, and he's light on right. his feet. At 6'4", 242, that's a pretty solid guy that, that's able to get around the edge pretty quickly. Uh, and, and being out of Charlotte, it's a smaller state. There's been qu- there's questions about, you know, has he really truly faced the competition to be able to be that value of a pick? Um, right. So when you look at him or, or like I said, a Jabari Zunga or Zuniga, uh, 6'3", 253, so a very similar size. He's a little bit heavier and a little bit shorter. Um, but again, he's got some good strength for his position. Anybody you're saying? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of guys on here that I think we might be able to get with our next pick that we don't necessarily need to rush uh, to be able to get them right now. So maybe we look at interior defensive line on this in this round and see what's out there. All right, so your your top option is Rashard Lawrence out of LSU. Uh, this yeah. guy's 6'2", 308 pounds. Yep. Strong hands. I mean, that's one of the things you can see right here in this is he's got strong hands. He can have some good blows. He's he's a tough dude right off the bat. They say competitive toughness. He is tough. That's for sure. Um, I, I don't I don't mind this pick when you're talking about that, Fred. I mean, you know, LSU, we know what LSU was able to do on the offensive side of the ball. One of the things that was underrated from LSU is the defensive side of the ball for them. Yeah, I mean, they're a very a, a very complete football team. And again, this is a big need. Remember, Derek Wolf's not going to be around for more than this year. Calais Campbell, you're on a two-year deal with him. And at that point, he's going to be 35 years old or 36 years old at the end of that contract. So you're going to need to have some depth there. You got rid of Michael Pierce. You got rid of Chris Warmly. I think Rashard Lawrence makes a lot of sense here uh, and would be a good value at number 92 overall. To your point, too. Who who would be better to learn from Calais from than than Calais Campbell, right, Brian? I agree. All okay. right, let's go. Rashad right. Lawrence is the pick there. Uh, so now let's start focusing back on the edge, right? We haven't hit edge yet. There's a couple of guys late in this draft that I've had my eye on, and right there at the very top, one of them is Jason's or uh, not? Uh, no, uh, you had it. Go back to, go back uh, to edge. edge. Yeah, Alex Highsmith, Kenny. Kenny Wilkes. Oh, Kenny Wilkes. Okay. Kenny yeah, Wilkes yeah. out of Michigan State is a guy that I've been really, really high on. I think that he brings a lot to the table, 6'4", 252 pounds. This is a guy that he's he fights until the whistle blows. You talk about, like, having a high motor. That's what this guy has. And he's got good athleticism. He reminds me of a TJ Watt. He has that ability to not only be a force against the run, but he has the ability to be able to beat a tackle around the edge. He's got good hands. He's got the ability. Jalen Ferguson, his only criticism kind of coming out of college was that he was a bull rusher, and that was it. He didn't have any moves, right? This guy's got moves to be able to get around uh, some of the tackles. I think he'd be a good fit and a great value pick here late. I mean, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, some of his his initial steps from what they've been saying out of Michigan State, from what you've seen in him out of the games, he's able to get deep quick. So that's going to be right. that's meaning he's able to put pressure on that quarterback in a quick hurry. Even if he's not able to completely set the edge and get around to the quarterback, if he's able to push his man into the quarterback and make the quarterback go, go the other way, guess where the quarterback's going to have to run to? Judon. 
Right. I ain't running to Judon. <laughs> right? right? Like, like that's think about that. That's what this guy's able to do. You know, there's some knocks that he doesn't have like explosiveness, but to opposite that, or you know, to counteract that. He's got strong mobility, which is what you want out of an ed- edge rusher. You want a guy that can make make some swim moves, get around the edge, even if you don't have the speed and the closing speed that he really doesn't necessarily fully have. If you have the ability to be mobile and to make some swim moves and get around guys, you don't necessarily have to have speed, especially on the defense, the way that we have it built right now. All right, so Kenny Wilkes, the picks for me there. Uh, let's go ahead and make that final. I'll back that. So that was our fourth round, our fourth round pick. Obviously, our let's, next pick comes in the fifth round at 129. Yeah, so let's click on my picks and just do a quick recap of oh, where sorry, we're at and what we've got so far. They're right next to all picks. So, so far, we've got Kenny Wilkes at the edge. We've got Rashard yep. Lewis, at inside defensive lineman. We've got the linebacker, Willie Gay Jr., We've got Jonah Jackson in the interior offensive line, and we picked out with that first pick in the 28th pick, Denzel Mims, because he was somehow available. So we've kind of knocked out a bunch of our needs, like our immediate needs and our immediate holes filled. One of the things that I talked about earlier when we were going through this draft was the depth at wide receiver through this draft. Wide receiver is still a hole. Even with Denzel Mims, we still have a need there. I want to take a look at some of the best wide receivers available in this draft right now here in the fourth round. Uh, this is our late fourth round pick because there's some good, good value that you can get here. So if you could do me a favor and sort the board by wide receiver. So if we're just going wide receiver, you saw there in the all, there was a bunch of wide receivers that were available. Lyndon Bowden uh, or Lynn so Bowden was that's you. You said it enough. You don't even have to go any farther. <laughs> Lynn Bowden is the the pick for me there out of Kentucky. This is a guy shout out to our boy, uh, Steve Jackson, Stephen L. Jackson. You know, he's been a big fan of the show for years. Um, he's been a BSer for years. He put me on to him a couple of weeks ago and I started watching tape on this guy. You talk about those role type of players that can come in and make an immediate impact in different ways than just at wide receiver. This is a guy that you can line up in that kind of that that wildcat formation. You can have him lined up as a quarterback. You can have him lined up as a halfback. You can put him out at wide receiver. There's a lot, a lot of versatility that brings. 6'1", 199 pounds. He's got good versatility. He's got good speed. He's a decent route runner, got good hands. There's a lot to like about Lynn Bowden. Now, the one big downside to him is he's had some off-the-field issues. So there, if there's any red flags, and this is why his draft, his draft stock has kind of dropped to take him late here in the fourth round is because of some of the off-the-field issues that he's had. Some of the things, I'm not going to get into the details of it. You can do your own research if you want to see that. But some of the stuff that he's done, are, it's been a little overblown. I think it's taken a little out of context. He's admitted to some of the things that he's done. Uh, it's nothing for me that I think would be a continued issue as a pro. I think the value in Bowden here is huge. I, I see what you're going with here with this. But one thing I do want to look at here for a quick second is let's put it all back on the board, right? We have to remember that five picks from now, we have the 134th overall pick. So when I look at things and I say, okay, where does where does he fall, fall on this? I, I think I see where you're going with that. I like the idea of it, uh, of going Bowden. I'm also trying to make sure, you know, who am I going to go next here, right? I could potentially be able to get a, another wide receiver that's decent out of Texas and Colin, John, Colin Johnson. Bowden, does he make the most sense here? Yes. 
my internal pick that I would love to have, and some people have been questioning, should the Ravens even go this route? I think you do, and I think you stay at home because we've seen his ability. I'd love to see an Anthony McFarland pick here. Yeah, I mean, obviously the homer inside of me, Ravens, but honestly, I, I just think on this roster with where they're at right now, having Gus Edwards, having Mark Ingram, having uh, Justice, Hill. You know, Justice Hill, he becomes just a glorified special teamers at that point. He becomes a, a return specialist, which, again, isn't very important, but I also think you can get that out of Lynn Bowden uh, and get the impact that he has on game day as a wide receiver as well. For me, if you draft him here, he's plug and play your number four wide receiver right out of the gate uh, and can potentially move up the draft board or move up the the, the death chart, uh, depending upon how he fits into this offensive system. Fair so I, for fair me, enough. I think the bigger value is. Is Bowden. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'll go ahead. I'll, we'll go ahead and take Bowden. Obviously, a few, few picks later, we are now right back where we were. Right, same situation now. We we we've taken Bowden, McFarland's gone, uh, Kinley's gone, who's an interior offensive lineman. So, you know, we've addressed all the main issues that we've seen. Um, the one thing that I think we kind of let go under the radar, right, for right now, is the fact that we're back to a two tight end set for the yeah. most part. So for me, I look at Albert, and I'm not even going to try, and, and I know you're not going to either try and butcher nope. his last name. We're just going to go Albert out of Missouri. 6'5", 255. This guy's physical. He's got pretty solid hands. He's very athletic, very versatile. He can do the, the pass blocking with that size, just like we ask out of Boyle, but with the same hand, or, or sim, I shouldn't say same hands, with good hands, as Andrews, not as good as Andrews, but good, solid hands. I think this is a route where we go tight end here. Take the best guy on the board and take Albert. Yeah, I, I'm not opposed to that because we do have a depth need at tight end. And obviously, a lot of three tight end formations. I know we do have Pat Ricard, which we will flex out there at tight end on occasion, you know, because he kind of lines up everywhere. Yeah, uh, but enough. I do think drafting this guy. Uh, he will be your tight end number three. He's not going to be anybody that blows you away. He's 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 a good all-around tight end in the sense that he can block, he can get out there and pass cuts. He's not going to light the world on fire from you know from either side, but he does bring the versatility, and we do need the depth there. So I'm okay with that. Let's go ahead with Albert Derrett. All right, uh, we're going to take pick. him. Uh, number one. Oh no. It just restarted. Uh, did it reset? Yeah. God damn it. Uh, oh, well. This is the problem with the draft network. They need to get their stuff together with this. We had this happen on uh, Sunny Stream the other night, but it is what it is. Look, I had fun doing the mock draft. It kind of gives you guys a sense of where our minds are at with all of this. Um, obviously, we, we went ahead and we had two wide receiver picked in this draft. We had the inside linebacker with Willie, uh, with Willie Gay Jr., who I think is a great value pick. Again, credit to our boy Garnett West. He was one of the guys that kind of put me on to him. I've been investigating him a little bit more. I think that's good value there. We got the edge rusher that we needed. So we, we, we addressed all the, the needs that we had. The draft might not have fallen ex as we expected, especially no. <laughs> when you watch, you know, some of these other mocks and you've you've done many mock mock drafts. Our two linebackers were gone before they even ate the twenty fifth pick. Period. Every single mock draft I've done up until this one, 
you've had a Patrick Queen or you've had you've had one of the Murray two available. There. You've had him there, but on the flip side of that, you haven't had Denzel Mims there. So somebody picked Patrick Queen that shouldn't have. Somebody picked Kenneth Murray that shouldn't have, and Denzel Mims kind of fell into our lap, which is a good pick, and I think it's something that's exciting. Again, the, the the guy that I think would be the most the best fit from a wide receiver for us. He's a he's a guy that Brian loves. That's for sure. Brian was all for that. Oh, I'm all about that guy, man. <laughs> Hey, I'm absolutely. All about the if it happens like, I that way, I just want to see an explosive offense here in Baltimore. That's all I want to see. You yeah. Know? Well, and I, I think mean, just all those all, all those years we were deprived of it. It's like why not? The Costa is going out of his way to bring all these pieces in, like a chess, like a chess master. I mean, he's bringing all these pieces in one year contracts for some of these um, free agents. It's nice to see, but you know, it's like okay, let's bolster up the offense because that's what this NFL is about. Not so much the defense, even though defense right. still wins championships, but I just you need to see build a long term, you know, to your point, Brian, you need to build a long term offense. And I honestly, I truly think if the, if the board fell that way, I'd be pissed if, Mim, if Mims was, if we didn't pick Mims, I'd be pissed. I'd be furious because I, you're you, at I, that point, you need to draft the blessed best player on the board. And the best player on the board at that point was in fact Mims. Absolutely. But but Absolutely. but to me, I honestly I honestly don't see him being there, but it would be great. Good yeah. God. I, I would throw a parade here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Brian, it's time for a social media shout out. Have you been watching? Yeah, I'm gonna I know you've had some issues, so yeah. Well anyway. So Steve, Nick, James, Justin, Sherry, Ryan, and Bryce is who I got right now, guys. All, All right. right. Appreciate so, every one of you tuning in and uh Hopefully, uh, this has been a kind of an entertaining show. It's a little different than what we've done in the past. The live mock draft was a little different of a feature. I thought it was kind of cool to do. Yeah, it was fun. But, uh, yeah, man. Any uh, any good comments out there, Brian? So, I got one, and this is from James. Go figure, right? He said, Fred looking like Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> you got you get the gold necklace thing going on, man. That's, all black. that's silver. That ain't gold. <laughs> So, so then I can't remember who came up with it. So they, uh, somebody commented. So does that mean that uh, Scott is, you know, Snoop Dogg? So, <laughs> that that cracked me up. Uh, Sipping on some scissors. And, uh, and so and so Steven brought up is if you take out his one catch being um, Boykin, if you take out his one catch, the long bomb against Seattle, how many yards does he have? Does that change your mind about Boykin if he doesn't make that one major catch against Seattle? No, because at 13 receptions on that one, he's still at over 10 yards a carry, or t- 10 yards. It still is right around 10 yards. It's still impressive. It doesn't change my mind. I, I, th- yeah. I think it still stays there. Yes, he did have that one big catch, and that's great. But he's able to do it cons- you know, consistently once he catches the ball. And look, do I want to lock knock Lamar? No. Do I think some of the throws that, that Boykin dropped were hit him in the chest? Yeah. Do I think some of the throws were maybe a little bit of a reach for a first-year first wide receiver? Yeah, I do think they were. So I think that, but that to your both your points, I think it needs to work. They both need to work on the chemistry together, and Lamar needs to work on the chemistry with everybody. Can you imagine if he had chemistry with everybody, with all of his receivers? Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the progression that he made from year one to year two, talk- great but the only criticism i could really have of him he didn't read through his progressions as well as i'd hope so yeah if he was working on that on the off season sky's the limit for way this offense is going to go from here on 
All right, Scott, it's time for the Bros, Bows, and O's segment. It's been a while since we've talked O's, right? There hadn't yeah. been a whole lot of no's. And honestly, right now, there really isn't a whole lot of news. Uh, baseball is, has been delayed just as long as everything else has been delayed in the sports world. Heartbreak no last op- weekend or last week. Yeah, no opening day last week. Um, I don't know. For, for me, like this was... This is when I think it all sunk in, right? This, for me, this whole, everything that's going on, the whole virus, this whole, the world slowing down. I know sports shouldn't have that kind of effect on anybody's lives, but, you know, sport, you, this really tells you, like, how important sports are for some of us when, you know, this is something that I've done for, for 20-something years now, and all of a sudden, it's gone. In the blink of an eye, it's gone. Yeah, and that that's the thing is, is, Right now, it's really killing everybody. To your point, sports play a huge role for everyone. And I think really what it is, it allows us, it allows a lot of people to be able to get away from reality. Take a step back, relax, you know, take your mind off of maybe what's going on at work or maybe even maybe even what's going on at home. It allows you to step out of that and, and go into this thing that, you know, you can focus on. I, I got to bring it up because somebody I saw bring it up. I think it was on Facebook, Fred, that somebody had commented, you know, how can you get into to sports? And, you know, I, oh, I, it doesn't yeah. doesn't affect me. And I, I, all, I, I it took every ounce of my being not to go at that person in your defense because they were talking about, oh, well, they play that it, uh, people have the same idea with, with politics. In my opinion, you sit back and you talk all this smack about politics, right? But when it comes to you going and actually doing it, you don't do it. So yeah. when it, when it comes to that, I, I, I sit there and I think about, you know, sports and the, the effect that it plays, it allows us to get away, allows us to step away from reality and, and while some people may disagree, to me, stepping away from reality sometimes is actually healthy. It is really oh, yeah. healthy for everybody to do. And so for me, last week, you know, Fred, Brian, you've known for years. Mm-hmm. Last week was probably one of the biggest heartbreaks when it comes to sports for me. Yeah. I have not missed a, a, a true opening day in years. How's it? I would say technically you still haven't because there's still the opportunity. They may still have an opening day. Opening day in March, April. Let's be real. Like a true opening day, you know, where where you don't know. Honestly, one of the things that you and I have over, experienced this over the past few years, you don't know kind of know what kind of weather you're going to get when you get on the opening day. Yeah, I mean, we've yeah, talked about that. I've been there. Rain, shine, snow, cold, wind, doesn't matter. I've been there through it all. It- yeah, it's definitely different not having it this year, but um, that was hopeful. my that's my biggest heartbreak. What is yours? Yeah. What's your biggest heartbreak when it comes to the Orioles? <sighs> I think my biggest, I guess, my biggest heartbreak for the Orioles right now is the fact that we're going through this whole rebuild. <laughs> you know, it's it's I got spoiled there. You know, we went through fifteen years of mediocre to below mediocrity as far as as baseball concerns here in maryland Uh, you know there's a whole generation of people of kids and fans that know nothing about winning baseball until these last five years right these last five six years they they were really good uh and they were a lot of fun man i I went you know the other night the other day the mlb was streaming different you know games on youtube and mlb network and all of this stuff and obviously we all know the delman young game right i was there uh, oh. it, it was probably the, the, the most fun I've ever had at a baseball game. 
uh, they replayed that man. And it, it, it brings a tear to your eye, you know, no one, I get like, chills thinking about it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like just how, how great of an experience that was. And here we are again, going through a rebuild, having to wait this three to four five year process of them building a competitive, you know, team again, we get spoiled, spoiled as sports fans, right? The Ravens have been pretty consistently competitive pretty much since their existence and being here. Yes, we've had some down years, obviously the Kyle Bowler years, and, you know, we've had a few down years bring here that and there. Shit up. But, you know, <laughs> right, but, I mean, for the most part, they've been a pretty competitive football team since they've been in existence. Uh, the Orioles gave us that taste for, like, five years, and now here we are again. How about you, Brian? What's your biggest heartbreak when it comes to the Orioles? <sighs> not – I, I kind of got to – go with you scott is just not having opening day not having that experience not having that joy of going it's a new season it's a new experience i mean last year was my first time actually going to opening day and i absolutely loved it and it was looking forward to you know kind of taking a day off going down to camden yards the best stadium in the league getting those smells of boobs barbecue and just hanging out with good friends good times getting a little beer buzz on um but not having that, not having that good, you know, get away, kind of get refreshed for a good four to five hours and just enjoy yourself and see these young kids, see these young kids coming out here and playing in a lot of them in their first opening day experience. Yeah. And uh, just seeing these new Orioles come out and, and try their damnness this year. I mean, because that's what this team is all about. It's all about just trying your hardest, seeing where your talent lies. And, you know, I, I, that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of missing right now and, and longing for well, yeah. not to put a damper on anybody's parade because, I mean, it's just – it hasn't been a whole lot of good news going on. There have been rumors and there have been talks out there that there might not even be a, a Major League Baseball draft this year. Yeah. They're that, considering yeah. other options on how to either migrate these people, in these players that would be available this year through free agency into the league. Like, they, there's all these different scenarios that people were throwing out there uh, for the potential of these, 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 you know, upcoming, what would be seniors or, you know, high school eligible players to be drafted this year. Scott, what's your take on the potential of not having a draft this year? Well, I mean, not even just having a draft, you know, you, you didn't get to see a year. You're basing some of these guys off their junior years in college, right? So you're talking about some of these high school guys. Let's talk about some of these college guys that are literally missing an entire season right now. And I know the NCAA, I haven't read what the actual final vote was on giving these players uh, senior another year of eligibility to play in the NCAA. But some of these guys could have increased their draft stock, right, when it comes to draft. We had some guys that we were talking about, but the season hadn't even started yet, right? Right. So that's another big thing that gets plays in. We talk about heartbreak. That's a heartbreak for a lot of these kids. A lot of these guys is that they're not getting that. And I, they're lucky if they're going to get that at the, at the college level. These high school guys, to your point, some of these guys could have been on the bubble of being able to go, not have to go to college and go straight in to the MLB. And I don't know that you're going to get that this year. I think you see a record no, record low number of high school players getting drafted in this draft because there's so many question marks when it comes to a high school player and the high school guys didn't even get to do it. So you're basing everything off of junior years in college and junior years in, uh, in high school. 
I just don't know that I see it happening. I think it makes a lot of sense just to say another year of eligibility. You have a bigger draft next year. I think you even say you maybe not necessarily double the rounds next year, but maybe one and a half times the rounds next year when it comes to the, the MLB draft. I think that's the way to go. Make it make sense. Make these guys give these guys the eligibility to be able to do that. I like it. Brian, what's your take on potentially I- not having a draft? I I don't know how you pause a draft. I mean, it kind of with like what the NFL is going through right now is kind of a good example. I mean, they have all the tape, but to the NFL, like what they've been talking about is they haven't had the ability to bring these guys in, do interviews, kind of do their own personal training. And it's kind of the same thing with MLB right now. I mean, they're basing everything off of tape. I mean, they're not able to sit down and do one-on-one interviews with these kids. And yeah. kind of what Scott was saying, you, you almost have to put this year on pause. The NFL's you know, kinda, a little bit... Kind of put it on pause and kind of start over. Not the NFL so much, just, just Major League uh-huh. Baseball. Like like you were saying, yeah. Scott, give them another year of eligibility. Kind of just say, hey, look, this year, forget about it. Act like it doesn't exist. When the MLB kicks back in, that's when we'll start back up and everybody can start over from where we left off. I kind of would be a, a good idea of where to start. I mean, cause like you were saying, some of these kids are going to get hosed. I mean, some of these kids are going to lose their draft stock, lose money. And, you know, and some of them may not even make it to the MLB just because they didn't have the opportunity to yeah. play or, or, or showcase their talents. And, and that really does suck. Yeah, yeah. I know Scott, you were talking prior to the show, uh, the, the MLB and the players association ended up reaching their, Demon, uh on this year regardless of what happens with everything that's been going what was your take on that yeah so basically the long story short with it is really what it revolved around you know was two things obviously pay and then time of service right so right. uh the the players association for them those were their two main goals and they actually succeeded on those right so the players are going to get the, the full pay they are not from my understanding of the way that it's worded is that there will not be uh, eligibility for the bonuses, which I think the players understand because you're not getting a right. full season. We're going to be lucky. Let's be real, people. We're going to be lucky if we actually see an 81-game season. We're going to be lucky. Um, yeah. I think you see them. I, I think that if they're smart, they say we're going to start after where the All-Star break would have been, and that'll be the beginning of the season. I think that's the way to go. I know there's lost revenue, all that stuff, but they're already getting paid. But under the same token, they got the time of service that because it's not a full season – under previous bargaining agreements, if you don't play a full season, you don't get a season of service. Right. They're allowing a season of service for every player that played a full season of service last year if they're on a major league team this year, a major league roster this year. Um, so it, it came to a nice agreement. I think it makes sense. I think it, I it, does. it, it really comes down to both sides. Obviously, the owners want revenue, and they recognize, look, we're not going to get all the revenue we really wanted this year. You're actually right. hoping that everybody missing sports, it's going to drive people to the stadiums. You know, the Orioles minus everything that's going on. You're hoping that everybody's like, I want sports. Let's just go to the Orioles game. That's what you're hoping for. Well, and here's another thing to look at it too. This might be a perfect test bed for the major league baseball, to test kind of dropping some games. I mean, cause let's be honest, the hunt, the, the long marathon of a season that major league baseball has is what's been hurting them year after year after year. It's a marathon and nobody yeah. wants to keep going to, you know, what, 80-some-odd game, some 80 some odd home games. I mean, that's the one thing that the NFL has over Major League Baseball is every game counts. And I think that's the one thing that hurts Major League Baseball is that they have 162 games. 
And, and that hurts them because it's pretty much just like, oh, you can lose a game and nobody cares. Well, you can lose 20 games and nobody cares. You can lose 30 games and nobody cares. But if your team makes it to the playoffs, hey, that's when it starts to, to really kind of really care for the home base. And yeah. I think this is a perfect test bed to say, hey, look, how do we test a shortened season? Um, do the ratings boost? Do do we get bigger, uh, you know, people going to see us live at the, at the stadiums. I think this is a perfect scenario for MLB to test right now. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that take. I think that this, I mean, it's, it's a forced test. This wasn't a planned <laughs> no. test by any, no, means, I, I agree. It does give them the ability to kind of evaluate what a short season looks like in comparison to a regular season. I think the numbers might be a little skewed because I think once things start going back to normal, I think everybody's going to want to be out and about and doing things and taking things a little bit more uh, instead of taking them for granted, appreciating things a little bit more. So I think we'll see that initial spike in ratings as soon as this all stuff gets back to normal, as soon as games start playing. Uh, so it, it's going to be a hard sample size to kind of evaluate because it's a, it's unique circumstances, right? We don't, you know, th- just because, they might play 70 games this year, whatever the number is. I'm just throwing a number out there. They might play 70 games this year and we might see statistics show one thing. Doesn't mean that if they play 70 games next year, those statistics are going to be the same because of the way things are going to work out. To your point, it's also going to come down to when those games are played, right? You know, if you have a shortened season, that's great. But what, what's going to happen is is everybody's attention is going to turn to the NFL because they're like, well, the MLB is kind of different this year. It's not really what it should have been. So you have people that are going to turn their, their attention to the NFL at the end of the year. So, Versus if you said, okay, a shortened season, even if you start that shortened season in May or even late June, right, early June, I should say, it's still going to change how people are going to do it. If you say May is the start date instead of early April, late March, you're going to see that change because now you have more people on vacation. I don't know that you get it. If you have June 15th as your opening day, I don't know that you're going to be getting a lot of people showing up. Everybody's going to be on vacation. So Uh, that's that's very true. That's a great point. But I got to get into, Fred, you talked about it. Adam Jones was brought up in the MLB. You know, obviously he's playing over in Japan right now. But you saw something on Reddit that he he was brought up this week. Yeah, so they did like this open panel interview uh, with with Adam Jones, and he went on social talking about being doing this interview with Reddit, uh, and he was very candid. You know, they talked about uh, you know his experience so far over in the Japan leagues and what ultimately led him there. Uh, but then he started. You know, some of the questions started rolling in about his time in Baltimore. You know, there was a lot of question marks about his departure from Baltimore was he okay with it did he feel like he was shunned and and at the end of the day I mean every response that that Adam Jones gave was was very honest and you wouldn't expect any less from Adam Jones it's just kind of the the person that he is but he understood it it was part of the business you know he he gets that you know that things like this happen um but so that that led into a question could he ever see himself back in the major leagues and could he ever see him back in Baltimore? And I thought his response was was pretty interesting. He actually talked about, yes, that he could see himself coming back in the majors, but it will be after his career, and it would be in a managerial standpoint, and he could see himself back in Baltimore at some point, potentially as a manager. So I wanted to get your guys' takes. Initial shock, initial opinion, what do you think about, Adam Jones 
in the future as a potential manager candidate. I like it. I think he he provides a lot of, you know, as a player's coach, he provides a lot of, you know, that that transition that he went through. And we saw him go through it here in Baltimore, where he went from being a little arrogant and cocky to humble and a leader in this clubhouse. Right. I think that brings a lot of benefit to this team in a managerial position. But honestly, I see him coming back and retiring an Oriole before that even happens. So when it comes to him coming and saying, yeah, yeah, I see myself coming back and, and it being a manager, I see him coming back as a player and retiring as an Oriole before that happens. But would I love to see it happen? Yeah, I think he's got a lot to provide. You know, as much as I knock him for not being able to hit a curveball consistently, he was a good hitter. He was a he was a professional hitter. And for me, I look at that and I say, that's something that can translate. He provides a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, and we know he's had the leadership. I like it. Brian, you're shaking your head saying timeout. What are you thinking? What was the one problem we always had with Adam Jones? He couldn't hit a curveball. He uh, couldn't hit a curveball, <laughs> but he always swung at the first damn pitch, too. And it drove you nuts. I mean, yes, the guy could hit. Good guy could he hit. But if he's going to – and I would like to see him be a hitter's coach because he had an eye for the ball like nobody else. <laughs> Friend, I had the same look on her face when you just said that. Yeah, like you kind of contradicted yourself there. You painted the picture of him not being the greatest hitter because he had all these bad no. tendencies, and then all of a sudden you want to be a hitting coach. No, he, he, he can be a hitter's coach, but as long as he tells the guys, don't swing at the first pitch. Otherwise, you're going to owe me $100,000 every time you swing at it. But his statistics after after he looked at the first when he Well, hold on. Let, let me back this up. So at the beginning of his career, he had a tendency to swing at the first pitch, and then he kind of got guidance, and then he really became a really good hitter. Um, when he started kind of learning what pitches to look at. And I think he could do that type of guidance here in Baltimore as a hitter's coach. Sorry, I was kind of, I was really contradicting myself because I, 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 the one thing that always pissed me off about him, I love the guy who's a great center fielder when he was here in Baltimore, was all those times he swung at the first pitch and he popped out. It just drove you bana- uh, bananas. But he, he learned to, to kind of cut that habit, and he became a very great hitter later in his career when he kind of kind of he had some guidance on how to hit and i think he could guide the younger generation into you know being very good hitters fred so i'm gonna say come you, back you, at you, you bring the last word fred because i truthfully think that if he's gonna come back or be a coach in any kind of fashion in, in in major league baseball it's either to be a positional coach meaning an outfield coach or it's to be a manager And I say that because a manager is a leader of men, right? And there was no doubt that when Adam Jones was here, he was the leader in soccer, right? He was the guy that all the players looked to. He was the vocal guy, the guy that stood up for his team. He was the guy that spoke when nobody else wanted to speak. And that's what you need in a manager. We think back to some of the most, you know, historic managers in Orioles history, Earl Weaver, like, what is he known for, right? He was the guy that went to bat for his guys and that he stood up there for his players and he made a, you know, he made his case out there on the field. I think Adam Jones would almost fit into that same type of role. He's not going to take any shit. He's not going to sit on his seat and not say anything. Even Buck Showalter, you know, he showed his, 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 his aggression, his feelings when he needed to here and there. Um, there's a lot to like about Adam. I don't see him as a hitting coach just because of all the glaring issues that you pick, you, you pointed out. 
but he was a very good outfielder. Uh, and as a center fielder, center fielders are traditional, uh, traditionally the captains of the outfield, right? So they have to know where everybody else needs to be in the outfield uh, in order to, you know, be in yeah. the right position and to, to, to make the right plays and write the, make the right reads off the bat. I think if he's going to be a positional coach, I could see him as an outfield coach, but I really do think that I see him, whether it's here in Baltimore or not, I do see him being a major league manager one day. Food for thought. So- Food for thought before we before we hop away from this. Yeah. Who was one of his favorite coaches to play for? Wayne Kirby. Wayne Kirby, right? Yeah, man. I could see him as a first base coach, and that feeds right into the positional coach that you were talking about, Fred. Absolutely. All right, fellas, it's time for some shell and tell. Some shell and what? Yeah, shell and <laughs> shell and who? Shell yeah. and what the hell are we even talking about at this point, right? Because Man, it's been uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. With, I mean, this falls right in line with the Orioles. There hadn't been a whole lot going on uh, as far as actually performance on the court or performance on the field. Is <laughs> what the court basketball <laughs> season was basically negated, and uh, the Big Ten tournament was canceled. The NCAA tournament was canceled. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not just the Terps. Obviously, it's it's everybody in college basketball. We're all kind of facing the same dilemma right now so i I just want to kind of quickly get your evaluations did the terps from a basketball perspective live up to your expectations this year uh in 2020 they started to uh but i think we saw some things at the end of the year that started to create question marks we talked about the depth uh and the the guys that seem to be just exhausted uh come the end of the season i i would have really liked to have seen how they would have been able to finish out uh, towards the end of the year, you know, with that same with that same aspect, right? We talked about some of these guys, not, you know, whether not knowing whether they're going to be back next year or not. One of the guys that's a huge question mark that was really continuing to be on the rise with his aggressiveness, which we were happy, more than happy to see, was Sticks, right? Uh-huh. Sticks showed the aggressiveness. He he took last season or, you know, the previous season. He built off that, and I think he did a great job. We saw him physically get aggressive. We saw him mentally get aggressive. I would have liked to see how he finished out and how he went through the tournament. But now, because of all this, he's also still non-committal on the whole situation. You know, he's not saying whether he's going to go in, in into the NBA draft who knows if there's even going to be an NBA draft type situation this year? We haven't heard necessarily heard that this year yet with the NBA, but they stopped their season, so it it is quite a possibility that we we see this year of eligibility play a role and maybe cross our fingers sticks comes back and is able to continue that aggression. We continue to see it. I'm happy with where it was. I do have some question marks around the end of the season overall. I'm impressed with what this team was able to do. Yeah, I mean. Sticks was obviously the one guy. If you were to pinpoint anybody on the roster outside of Anthony, senior, so was there anybody that had any kind of NBA potential, right? And there was a lot of preseason talk about Sticks and about the possibility of Aaron Wiggins. And we saw how the season played out. I don't think Aaron Wiggins is an NBA prospect at this point. He'll be back for another year, so we, I think, we'll have him in the in the in the fold. Uh, Sticks, like you said. Right now, I mean, I think he had a great year. He was he was in the running for Big Ten Player of the Year. He was uh, in the running for for All American. You know, he he was in the running for pretty much every award out there. Yeah. Um, I think he had a great year, and I think he had an NBA caliber type year. I think he 
if he were to go in the NBA, NBA draft, he'd probably be a top 15 pick. Yeah, I was going to say point. top 15. He might even, I, potentially, depending on how things work out, he could be pushing top 10. Maybe. But I, I think realistically, he's probably a top 15 pick. But one of the things that we saw in the offseason were comments mother made. And that was about the importance of his education, right? And 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 putting his education first before the NBA. Yeah. So I think for me, if, if he was going to declare for the NBA draft, I think we would have heard that by now. I think we would have heard those rumblings. Uh, I think there's there's something more to it. I think maybe his mom does want him to stay here and does want him to finish his education and all of that. And I think there's some unfinished business, right? There's there's a lot of question marks around this team right now, right? The the incoming draft class doesn't look great. Uh, there's some guys that have been entering the transfer portal, portal lately. Uh, Ricky Lindo, he's entered the transfer yeah. portal, right? We lost the Mitchell Twins halfway through the season, you know, last year. So you're losing all this depth at, you know, at forward and at center. Isn't there question marks around around Tamayich too, of whether there's potential for him to leave? There's Uh been, yeah, there's been some rumors about him potentially too. So there's a lot of, a lot of question marks right now around this team. And I'm telling you, this team could take a very bad dive, <laughs> a very bad dive over the next couple of weeks if everything falls into place. If Tamayich leaves, if, you know, Alindo leaves, if Sticks declares for the NBA, who do we have? Like, who do we have from a size perspective down low to replace them? And really, the only answer we have right now is Chol Mariel. And Dante Scott, that's really the only two place pieces that we have down low. We have no depth at that point. I don't even know that you can call Shoal a piece at this point. We haven't seen enough of him. Right, and that's, again, that's him making a big jump from year one to year two. Yeah. He's going to have to put a lot of work in in the weight room and getting comfortable in the offense and and really putting on that extra size because he was getting pushed around. He's tall as he is. He was getting pushed around, and he wasn't able to keep up speed-wise with the offense, so Brian, what's kind of your take on this on this team uh, from this last past year? It was a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I mean, there was some highs of highs and lows of lows, especially at the beginning of the season when I think they made it into what the top top five. If they weren't top two, potentially, I think they were top. Yeah, I think they had gotten up to almost top five, like early, early on in the year. And and we were all high. We're like, this is awesome. This is great. Man, this is wonderful. This team's got the talent. And then, man, they had some rough losses. That Rutgers loss to me is is kind of uh, they 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 won against Rutgers. I'm sorry, it was the uh, the there was one loss, the Illinois really loss, hurt. probably Illinois. That was it. And you're like, my God, what is going on with this team? This is this is uncharacteristic of this Terps basketball team, especially for 2019. But at least to me, the, the, the big thing I take away from this year uh, for Maryland's Terps basketball is they were co-champions. Yeah. You know what? You get to walk away with your head held high. It's a good season. You walk, you walk away, and you know what? I think they, they could have made it to the Elite Eight this year. No, of course, I'm speculating. But Sticks, especially at the end, I know we're, we're, we're praising Sticks. Like Scott was saying, he got aggressive. And the one thing I always slammed Sticks for, it was just his offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding was very lackluster to me. But near the end of the season, man, he revved it up. He wanted those rebounds. He wanted those boards. And you could see it in his tenacity to get to the boards, to get the rebounds, which helped them out a lot, especially in the Big Ten tournament. 
And uh, to me, that's my takeaway is that this is one of the weirdest seasons for Maryland Terps. It was a roller coaster ride. And I, as a Maryland Terps basketball fan, it was great to watch this. But man, I really wish we could have seen what they could have done in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So they've been trying to figure out what the next move is to kind of fill in some of these gaps, right? So one of the guys I was kind of high on was out of a transfer, Seth Towns. Didn't end up working out. Didn't end up committing here. He ended up going to Ohio State. A guy that they've got their eye on right now is a Yale, is Yale graduate transfer, Jordan Bruner, 6'9 forward. Um, he currently has Maryland, Baylor, and Alabama in his top three. He averaged 10.9 points a game last year, 9.2 boards, and 3.8 uh, assists. So he'd be a guy that'd be able to come in, make an immediate impact as a starter right away. So if you do lose a guy like Sticks, he'd be a big important piece or he'd be a big complimentary piece to sticks. If stick, you know, sticks decides to stay. Uh, and then they've got another guy at high school right now, top 50 overall player uh, out of the 2021 class, Adama Songo. Now he could reclass as a 2020 commit. He's right now. He got us in this top 10. So there, there's some pieces out there that are moving. Mark Turgeon's got, you know, he's got his feelers out there. He's doing his work. So it's not that, Everything is stopped. Like Turge has got a plan here. It's just going to be a lot of graduate transfers that we're going to need to see to come in to be able to fill these roles. Yeah. Um, well, Fred, before we before we move on to the two minute warning, give us a quick rundown. Football kind of had some major news this week uh, oh, yeah. with a commit. Get into that. Tell us tell us a quick you know quick summary of what we saw this week for the football team. So we know you know a couple months ago they landed the big commit in Raheem Jarrett, the wide receiver, local you know, was going to be that kind of trendsetter for this football team. They got a big top, like 20, I think it was like 22 overall commitment in the country. That's huge. Get him to stay home. Well, they had the second domino fall into place, four-star defensive end, which I don't know how this guy's a four-star. In my opinion, he absolutely is a five-star. 6'4", 220 pounds out of Quince Orchard High School in Gaithersburg. I, I mean, this guy is amazing like he gives everything that this team needs as far as pass rush goes he had offers from pretty much every school out there he had offers from alabama clemson uh florida florida state he's the number one overall uh prospect in state the number 16 overall in the nation you pair him with rakeem jarrett that's the kind of movement they talk about this whole dmv to umd movement right these yeah. are the type of chips that you need to have fall into place to see the other chips fall with them, right? If you get two big guys like this to commit, that's huge for Loxley. That's huge for this football program because this football program was in dire straits just two years ago, complete dire straits. After the whole Jordan McNair incident, right? Where do we go from there? How do we rebound from that? Well, it starts in your own backyard. And it starts by getting the big name commitments. And they were able to do that. Right. So that puts out there the potential for another five-star commitment, Caleb Williams, another quarterback, the best dual threat quarterback in the nation, right. another local guy. He's got us in his top five right now, but I mean, he's being charmed by the likes of Clemson and Oklahoma and some of these guys and, you know, he he equally shows love to all these schools that have interest in him. But I think getting this guy out of Quince Orchard High School, all it does is give more ammo 
for Loxley to potentially land a prospect like Williams. So things are looking up with the football program. Uh, this was a big, big signing for the Terps. All right. All right, Scott, it's time for the two-minute warning. I haven't done one of these in a while. Brian, I know you've uh, you worked hard on these two questions. <laughs> <laughs> worked real hard. I think it happened like 30 seconds before. We seconds went before she... that's, that's all right. Don't, don't There's not a lot going credit. on, so I can't say I blame you. Just had, you had so much going on in the sports world that you had to pick these two out of the bunch, right? I know. What Who, can I say? Who's going first on this, Fred, you or me? Uh, I'll take the run with it. All right. Go ahead, Brian. What do we got? All right, here we go. So with the Michael Jordan documentary getting to release, which is called The Last Dance coming out, I want to get your guys' take on your fondest moments of Michael Jordan's career. Wow. There's so many to pick from from Michael Jordan. I mean, this guy was my idol growing up as far as a basketball fan. I mean, he he really introduced me to the sports world. Um, I, I have to say the flu game where he went out there, played with the flu, and was able to put up the numbers that he put up and lead his team to victory in, in such a crucial game in the playoffs. Like, that just kind of speaks to everything that Michael Jordan was. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the fondest memory, even though he went out, he went out, you know, he went out on top in, in Chicago, coming back and playing in for the Wizards and still being able to put up numbers and still being able to do what he did. But for me, my fondest memory was when he said, I'm leaving NBA to go to the MLB. I loved it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Brian, what do we got? So uh, there's talk about the possibility about the NBA coming back. The only exception is they would be empty arenas. What is your guys' take on this? You okay with it or not? I think that's the world that we live in at this point, right? You know, I mean, you're talking thousands, 50,000, 40,000, 30,000 people in one bunch you know this virus isn't something that's going to go away overnight right it doesn't matter if you have one person or two people out there that have it this virus can spread very quickly i think the way that you limit that is by doing this and introducing sports back to fanless uh, arenas unfortunately i get I what i get thing. what they're trying to do here because they're they're trying to set the precedent and they, they can still be able to get into the NBA, the rest of the nba season get into the playoffs i get what they're trying to do but when you were the sport that had the worst case of players being affected by this disease it's a high risk regardless if there's people in the stands or not I just don't know that it's a smart move. It's putting your players at risk. I'm not necessarily sure that the NBA Players Association is going to agree to doing that with the NBA. Uh, that's a great point. That's a great yeah, point. Scott, it. it was a good show. Sign us out of here. Yeah, guys. I appreciate everybody. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Obviously, everybody being remote tonight. Uh, hopefully, everybody enjoyed the show. You enjoyed the, the mock draft. And you enjoyed having and seeing our all of our pretty faces brian was on more ca on camera more than he's ever been tonight but for all of us we want to remind you guys let's not do that again <laughs> yeah. we want to remind you guys check us out on our website www.birdlandbs.com while you're there you obviously know the episodes are there you can check each of us out 
learn about each of us and make sure you get yourself some birdland bs gear while you're there make sure you also check us out through big play as well as birdland sports follow us on all of our social media sites at birdland bs is how you find us at scott blbs at bartender blake and at fred blbs go check us out make sure you like follow subscribe and share while you're there to be a part of the nation if you want your opinion or topic heard on the show use the hashtag that's blbs your comments may come up on the show as always be sure to check out the audio version of the podcast on spotify itunes google Podcasts, or any podcast app of your choice we are there thanks for tuning in as always we'll be back next tuesday night most likely remote like this again we'll see how long this lasts but you guys know the time you know the place 7 30 eastern standard time come check us out we'll see you guys next week See you.